Hey, welcome to the 318th episode of The Random Podcast from Hack. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about random things in a world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. I feel like I'm about to burp. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Lookin. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And what are we? We're talking about X Men The Hidden Years, John Burns X Men The Hidden Years. So this is the series that takes place between, I think, what, what was it? Like X Uncanny X Men, like 68, between 68 and 93 whatever, where Marvel was just reprinting the issues again, and then, you know, Giant Size X-Men came out, and everything just, like, changed. But time went by in the Marvel Universe. These are the adventures the X-Men went on in between that time. And it's John Byrne, which, you know, obviously I, I can't get enough of classic John Byrne stuff. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That's ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. All right, this week, um, I, we'll see what's going to happen this week. It's, uh, I, I guess I should talk about what's on, on the show first. And we can get into a little, some other stuff, some other business. Movie feature, I had to decide. Two movies coming out. Originally, this was almost like a last minute thing. So Saw X, Saw 10. I think they're calling it Saw 10. I mean, it seems like the cooler thing is to call it Saw X. I don't even know why. Why do people think X is cool? Like, oh, Twitter, we had this whole Twitter thing. Now you got X. You know, like you're sending out a tweet. and that, do you, do you, What do they call it now? Do you sending out an X? Are you Xing? Some, uh, Saw, Saw X 10 is coming out, or it came out. I was almost, I'm, I'm kind of looking at, it's like, what does, the, what do you guys want? Or you guys, what do you people, you people, what do you want? What do the listeners want? What are, you know, people listening to podcasts? Saw is like a, a, a franchise, you know, if there's been 10 movies, right? People know what Saw is. So I'm like, well, you know, maybe, you know, got to give the people probably what they want. If there's been 10 movies, people must want it, right? Maybe, I don't know, not necessarily. And, but then I saw this trailer for the, the creator, like, you know, a few weeks, a couple weeks ago. And I was like, this, this looks kind of cool. Uh, I was like, and you know, the funny thing is I didn't even like know like, who the director was. I must've missed that in the trailer. But I was like, this looks kind of cool. But it's like, it, it almost felt like, a, <laughs> I'm kind of laughing at myself. Almost felt like this is kind of like, like an indie movie, you know, indie sci-fi movie. I was like, this looks cool. But it's like the creator. It's so now it's like the whole Martin Scorsese thing where everything is just franchise, nothing original. And I was like, oh, that looks kind of cool. But I got to see Saw. And then I saw I, heard, I saw some little tiny thing, like some early review where they, I think the, the little blip said that like the, the creator is like the vis, visually stunning or something like that. And I'm like, oh, if, if this like early, early buzz is that it's good, maybe maybe I just say I'm going to see that because I've, I found that story a little more compelling. And we'll talk more about that later. So I went, went to see the creator. And um, as far as Saw goes, I, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I know the preview numbers Saw did a little better. Obviously, it's going to do better because it's it's a bigger you know, more known commodity or whatever you want to call it. 
I, I just, I totally just lost my train of thought. Oh, what I was going to say is, Saw, I think this Saw is like the highest rated Saw movie in the franchise, which, that, well, I mean, because the first one, I, I enjoyed the first Saw movie. You know, as much, as uncomfortable as these movies are, I, you know, I liked the first one, and maybe because Carrie Yules was in it. I, I don't know. And then I finally, like, the, almost a deciding factor is, like, I finally watched a trailer for for this, and, and I didn't even realize that this is taking place between Saw 1 and 2. I'm like, oh, that's interesting, because, you know, I... I am not, I feel like I've talked about this already. I'm not like the biggest Saw expert. And I don't even know if I've seen, I feel like maybe I've seen all the Saw movies. I don't even know. I can't even keep track of them. But it's like, oh, we're going back. So this is taking, I was like, eh, okay, whatever. And then just watching a trailer where, okay, we got this killer. And so correct me if I'm wrong. So my, I, I feel like, the, and I don't know why I'm talking about it so much. I mean, I guess I'm not, since I'm not seeing it, I will see it eventually. I will see it someday. I, I, I promise you that. But so my understanding is we got this dude, the serial killer, saw dude. He's dying of some ailment or something like that. But there's a procedure that could maybe save him and then he'll just sit in jail <laughs> instead of dying. Okay. But then I, I guess, did I, I must not have been paying full attention to the trailer, but I'm pretty sure then the surgical team or someone, they're like, eh, snip, snip, not really doing whatever. So they acted like they did. It's like, oh man, it, the procedure didn't work. Then he finds out they lied. They didn't do it. So somehow he gets out, he escapes, and then he kidnaps, I'm assuming the surgical team, got them all in torture devices and is going to make them like torture themselves. Cause I think there's one part in a trailer spoiler where like someone's like has to chop off their leg or do something like that. And, and I just like, eh, I don't know if I really need to see that. You know, I, I enjoyed the, the horror movies. You know, I, I've mentioned that time and time again, but yeah, so I didn't go see that. So I saw the creator. So <laughs> long, long story. How long has that been? So yeah, we're talking about the creator this week. Uh, with Adventure Time, I love this Adventure Time show. I love Fiona and Cake. So, you know, they've been doing two episodes every week. It's only 10 episodes in the season. I hope that there's more. I haven't watched season, or I haven't watched episode 10 yet. Because I, I mentioned last week that, like, maybe I'll I'll stretch it out an extra week. And and I also feel like, you know, instead of talking about two episodes, it's, it's just, it's easier, I, I feel like, I, I'm, if you're listening to this, to just listen to one episode. So we'll see. Um, I, so I don't even know if there's room for a season two. I, I hope so because I've just been been blown away. It's just been so much fun and it's so different. And that the show and the characters definitely, you know, absolutely have have evolved. And I just really applaud like what what they're doing with this. And you know, maybe it's not for everyone, but it's like Adventure Time is like which is one of my favorite shows. So I, I'm really happy about this. Ahsoka, we got um, the what the penultimate episode this week. We'll talk about. Um, as you listen to this, the final episode is going to air. So like um, the, later this week after, depending when you listen to this. And then, um, oh, I should mention this earlier. We're going to talk about the Continental, the first episode. So right now, two episodes are out. So it's only three episodes. First episode was like an hour and a half. And uh, I forget what the second one was. So yeah, we'll, so we'll just be a week behind with that. Now, moving or thinking ahead so there's there's like not a lot of news so that that's why this stuff is okay what also came out on friday the 29th was gen v so this is the boys spinoff 
And correct me, was there three episodes or two episodes that came out? Like, oh, my, my, my Lordy B. Um, we have that. And then this week, as you're listening, Chucky comes back for season three. So that's on Tuesday, October 3rd. And I'm, I'm really bummed about this. I'm, I'm really, really bummed about this. Loki starts on Friday, August 6th. Why is it on Friday? The Marvel shows have never been on Friday. The Marvel shows have always been on Wednesday. Didn't Maybe She-Hulk was on Thursday or something like that. Or did they already Thursday and Wednesday? I don't know why, why they're switching. So the thing, I don't know why, why does everyone feel like, oh, we got to put everything out on Friday. It's the end of the week, you know, because we have music comes out on Friday. Didn't music used to come out on Tuesdays? Like, because that's when, when like a home release, like DVDs, Blu-rays comes, they come out on Tuesday. Music, I thought used to come out on Tuesday. And then maybe I just never paid that close enough attention. Music comes out on Friday. Fine, whatever. Theatrical movies come out on Friday. Okay, I get it. It's a weekend. You have that. But then the, all of the big streaming shows now, uh, the majority of them, they come out on Friday. Like all the Apple, well, see, what I like, what I love about Apple TV Plus is they come out on Fridays, but they actually tend to come out like Thursday night, it seems like. You know, you got the little early thing. And, and even like like Star Wars Ahsoka, that was supposed to be Wednesdays, and then they, they changed it to Tano, Ahsoka Tano Tuesdays or whatever. But to, to put Loki out on Friday... I, I don't think I'm, I think I'm going to have to be a week behind, which I don't know if that's annoying. If, if someone's like, I don't want to wait a week and a half or whatever, or just a little over a week to, to hear about it, even though it's a weekend. Cause you know, my, my Fridays are, are shot where I'm, I'm trying to, you know, wrap everything up make sure I read all the comics and all that. And then doing the amazing art picks on entertainmentfish.com that takes so much time. And plus, you know, working during the day. Oh, Loki. I don't know. But, you know, what, I, what I'm curious also, how many people are, like, excited about Loki? I am. I, I, I really enjoyed the first season of Loki. But I feel like some people aren't super-duper crazy about Loki. I could be totally wrong. We'll, we'll, we'll see. So I, we might have to be a week behind. I mean, just like, you know, whenever shows come out on Friday, like Gen V and that, oh, man... So we'll see. I, I'm just, it just really bums me out. The, the, and I don't know if it makes a difference or not, but I feel like I'm just getting so behind. Just have to deal with it. Uh, yeah, so that's um, kind of this week and this next week because, you know, with, so we'll finish Adventure Time next week and, um, you know, next will be one more episode. So I think this will kind of fill things up because, you know, I, my, I was a little concerned with, everything's ending you know my adventure superman ended uh harley quinn ended so it's like everything's ending so even though we're going to do uh, continental episode one this week two so it'll be a little overlap got one more ahsoka one more yeah so we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out so next I, I feel like next week's might be i don't know what i'm gonna do about next week i feel like it's gonna be long with gen v because that's probably gonna be I don't maybe I only do two episodes because is there three? I forget. I don't know. We'll see. But we should get into the news. Oh, I, I guess the other thing is, um, I, I, I just, it's, it's so weird. The, 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 like time is, is just so messed up. I'm, I'm still the, trying to read all the comics is, is just uh, such a, such a, a task for me, you know, to, to find a time to do that. Cause you know, obviously as you know, I, I teach during the day. So, you know, that, that takes up a big chunk of my time. 
this week I also had parent conferences. So like, you know, one day it's like, I didn't have a prep period because, you know, we chop off the, the periods and we do press or parent conferences and, you know, it, sometimes it could be like a couple hours a day or whatever. So then I got more conferences this, this coming week. So it's just been really hard to balance everything, you know, because I'm losing some of my non-teaching work time because the conferences are going longer than the, you know, it's not like three o'clock, even at like three o'clock, I'm not done. You know, three o'clock, then I got, what am I doing tomorrow? We got to make photocopies, got to do all that. So parent conferences is just, you know, filling up more time. And, and you know, then I've given some quizzes, grading quizzes and everything. And, and you know, it, it's it's also weird because I only did one episode of Fiona Cake. And I only watched one episode of Fiona Cake instead of watching two. And, and even that was... Anyways, let's just get started. So things are going crazy. <laughs> or things have been crazy. It's just this time, man. I feel like I'm losing time somewhere. It's like, wh- how how is this happening? Um, with the news, I meant to look further into this. Okay, the strike... Is the strike over? Is it kind of over? Is is one strike over, but not the other one? Because I thought that it was all settled. Because, you know, first they're like, like oh, tend to do... At first of all, everyone's saying, like, the strike is over. It's like, uh, no, they haven't agreed to anything. But it, it's not... I think it's it's settled. Because then I thought I just saw that the SAG, so Screen, Screen Actor Guild, wasn't over or was over, but the Writers Guild was not over. I don't even know. You probably know, but I think things are getting closer. I think they're almost, I, I, yeah. So maybe they're over, but because I, like one of the things I saw is like, oh, Deadpool might not make its 2024, you know, um, date because, and maybe that was just an old, older article that, I, that I, I saw, but it looks like we're, we're finally getting there. So, so that's good. The main thing is, you know, like with, with, with the Marvels coming out uh, next month, November, right? You know, will will the stars? I hope that you know. I want them to be able to go to the premiere, and I I I think it's it's such a bummer. You know, I think about like Blue Beetle. You know, they they couldn't do like a, a they couldn't attend the, the premiere for the movie, which it just seems weird that you you pour your energy, your creative energy into you know making these movies, and you can't promote it because you're not allowed and. That's just, it, it's, and it's horrible. And, and the reason you can't allow it is because this stupid, you know, higher ups don't want to spend, don't, don't want to spread out the money. And, and yeah, you know, who doesn't want all as much money for themselves as they can, but it, you can't, you can't do that. It's just trying to do the right thing. You know, it's just, I, it baffles me that people can be like, well, whatever, that's not my problem. I want all the money for myself and here's a dollar. I'm going to take a million dollars for myself. But, you know, keep that dollar. Don't spend it all in one place. So I, I think it's over. But now that the strike's over, you know, so obviously the studio's got to start, 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 you know, pumping things back up. Like Warner Brothers, you know, they, they lifted the suspensions on some of their deals, which I thought was such a weird thing. It totally makes sense. But, you know, the way, like, the news was, was reported about J.J. Abrams and Greg Berlanti that, you know, their deals were were. were suspended and it just it sounds so bad and maybe because i'm thinking about like school suspensions but no it's just like if if you have you know if it was like a a, a two-year contract or five-year the the strike was you know that's like a chunk of a year you know you don't want to lose that time when nothing creative is is getting done so that's been reinstated so you know they're going to start doing more stuff with that but then also like uh paramount 
they they want to start you know we got to start doing some star trek stuff and apparently star trek 4 is still in the works or something like that i'm trying to think with the star trek movies i don't i know i didn't see all of them i don't even know which ones i've seen it's it, it, see that's how crazy it is how is my life that I, I can't even remember what i i've seen now there's just like so much going on but whatever we have that um what's kind of interesting is is patrick stewart he wants to do a Picard movie. He doesn't want to do like Star Trek The Next Generation because I, I think he's like, we already did like four of those. And here's the thing. I never saw in, Insurrection. Is that the, the last Next Generation movie? I should see that sometime because I, I like The Next Generation. And so he wants to do like a Picard movie. So kind of following where the third season left off and kind of continue from there. But what's weird is, is because, you know, the third season was billed as the final season, I thought it was just like, yeah, we just want to do three seasons. That's it, you know, because you know Patrick Stewart, he's he's not getting any younger, and maybe he's just like you know, yeah, that's it. And he, I'm sure, you know, there's other things. He, you know, he doesn't just want to play Picard for for the rest of his life, and but apparently he he wants to do more, and and you know, with the rest of the cast and and all that. So he wants to do that. He's kind of lightly pushing you know he's not like trying to throw his whatever power he has with with paramount and all that but he he would like to do that and i guess we'll, we'll see if that's going to happen uh the other <laughs> this is, I, I almost laughed when i saw this uh taika watiti star wars you know so last I, I i don't know if it was last week you know mentioned that like oh it's it's not going to happen, and the 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 bummer is a lot of things are getting canceled. A lot of things got canceled, like the peripheral Amazon. You know, you say it's coming back, and then you cancel it because of, with with all the, the strikes going on, you know, they might be prioritizing and, and looking. It's like okay, we this production isn't halted. We got to just just cut you know cut our losses and say okay. Instead, all you people hanging out, we're, we're just, we're going to scrap this and we're going to just move on to something else. So, uh, you know, I'm sure you have things like that. And, but now maybe, so the, the, the funny thing is, I think what it was, and maybe this was my, my error on reporting in it. I think it was like one scooper said that it was canceled. And then now another scooper is like, no, it's still happening. So it's like battle of the scoopers. You know, they're, they're like arguing with each other now as to, Who's right or who's? I I I don't know. Um, so may, maybe it, it's it's still going to happen. I, I guess we'll have to wait and see. And it's funny because like you know some people I I love Taika Waititi stuff and I I think I mentioned this last week. It's like I'm really curious to see what he would do with it. And because uh, he he did an episode of of Mandalorian, right? Am I totally? I feel like. Now I'm kind of questioning myself. Is like, did that really happen? Am I just like totally bonkers? Whatever. Uh, I don't know. Uh, there, I'm talking, speaking of totally bonkers, there was a, a trailer for Masters of the Universe uh, Revolution. I never saw. Was there a season? I think there was a season two, right? Because the season one was split into two seasons. The season one was like the Tila show, but I, I don't know if the season two. This is the thing. I meant to look it up. I feel like there was a season two, but I didn't watch it because the first season was fine. I didn't hate it, but I wasn't like super duper crazy about it. And I think with that, with with the way I felt about the first season and with the way Netflix puts everything out at once, 
I didn't watch it. And see, that, that's the thing. If you're listening to Netflix, this, this, it's, it's a deterrence for me because like The Chosen One, I love Mark Miller. I, I love Mark, Mark Miller's comics and everything. I started watching The Chosen One. I watched 15 minutes and then I just got overwhelmed by other stuff. And then it just, it got too late. Because I think I was already like a week behind when I was going to start watching it so I can talk about it on, on the next podcast episode. But then it just got to be like, well, you know, everyone, if anyone that's like diehard listening, they've watched all the episodes. And then what, I'm going to talk about episode one when everyone's already watched them all. So I still haven't watched that because I'm trying to keep up with with the other stuff. And, and you know, we have a house of, house of Usher, whatever was that called? I'm really super excited about that. But I feel like it's going to be the same thing that, that now that there's like other stuff coming out, I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch enough to make it like not drag out whatever but anyways uh master's universe um the trailer looked looked cool you know we we see it's it's a fight scene you know we see he-man you know fighting and uh one of the things that was a little weird so like the the king prince adam's dad's there like in this like battle suit uh and uh he keeps saying like good job my son come on adam and it just seems weird because my recollection of of original he-man it almost felt like he-man and prince adam were two different people even though they looked identical not even glasses to try to hide the identity and no one could figure it out that is that was just bonkers i i think i mean i just never understood that the clark kent thing kind of get whatever but it just feels weird for the king calling he-man his son and adam because He's not. I always thought that He-Man was a weird name. It's like, okay, is that really his name? It's like, hey, uh, He-Man, would you like a you know, glass of chocolate milk? It, you know, It's like he didn't have an actual name. Because He-Man just seems like a description, like a title maybe, if even that. So it was weird that He-Man never had a name. That like, oh, his name is really Charlie. Charlie Man. I don't know. So... What are you going to start calling him, him Adam now all the time? Is there is there no distinction between Prince Adam and He Man now? Because like, why bother changing back if everyone knows? I don't know. But the, the trailer looked looked fine. Will I watch it? I, I don't know. Especially if I haven't seen the second season. I don't want to get confused. <laughs> um, there was also a trailer for, for like not a trailer. It was a clip, and this was a clip too. Right, let's, let's clarify that it wasn't a trailer. There was a, a clip for the Scott Pilgrim Netflix uh, series coming out, which is, uh, that's on um, He-Man, or Masters of the Universe, it's not He-Man, Masters of the Universe is coming out 2024, Scott Pilgrim is going to be November 17th, and it's interesting because you see how things change, so if you watched the movie, you remember when Scott finds out that Ramona Flowers delivers, you know, she delivers packages for Amazon. So he orders something and he sits by the door and he waits for her to deliver the package so he can like talk to her as this is after the party in the beginning. They decide to get a little meta sort of here is she doesn't work for Amazon, which I get if this is a Netflix show, they probably don't want to mention one of the streaming competitors. So even though it's Amazon delivery, that's also, you know, Amazon Prime, they probably don't want to mention that. So they don't. So instead of delivering for Amazon, she delivers, because this is when it's, it's set in a past time period or whatever, not super past, but not it's not current, I guess. 
she's delivering DVDs for Netflix. So he orders something and then he has to wait. And But see, the thing with the Netflix DVDs back in the day, if you remember that, you didn't get it. It wasn't necessarily like next day delivery. It's like whenever they were available, whenever the nearest one was available. So I, I thought that was, that was kind of, it was kind of funny and interesting, you know, cause you would expect some things are going to change cause you know, not, a, and, and, you know, they already said that, you know, it's not going to be identical, but so that was, was kind of funny. Um, but one thing I do want to mention for next week, actually I should mention this at the end, but I'm going to mention it for now because I, I want people to see this is uh, Monsters of California is coming out. So this is a, this is a Tom DeLonge movie. If, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to YouTube, search Monsters of California, watch the trailer. It, it's, it, it looks like it's going to be a, a fun movie. Is, is it the most original, mind-boggling, blowing, going to knock your socks off? No. But it just looks like it's going to be a, a lot of fun. And, and as if you know me... <laughs> Um, I, I'm huge, which I didn't mention this last week. I realized after, uh, I'm a huge, huge, I love Blink-182. I mean, that's, I, over like the recent years, that's, that's really, I've really made them like my favorite band. And, you know, cause it wasn't always, you know, I, I loved them when they first came out in the nineties, when we first heard them and I just really gravitated to them. So part of it is like part nostalgia, you know, thinking back and just, you know, the good times and everything and just. So they've become like my comfort band. And, you know, I, I just listen to them nonstop. You know, I have a, a Blink-22, you know, smiley tattoo on, on my wrist. And um, as you may know by now, since this, we're talking, they, they they released a second song, you know, album. They finally released the, 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 the date for the album, which I was like, when is that coming out? You know, they released a, a song one more time, which, oh, my God, uh, that, that song just is like such a gut puncher because the... I don't even know if I should get into this now because I'm not sure how many people are, in, are interested. But the song is is really about the band, and just, just to try to make it this this quick, if if you're not aware, is you know the the band broke up, and then Travis Barker, a drummer, almost died in a plane crash. You know, he was with with DJ AM. The the plane I th- wasn't it like just taken off and then it, it fell, and it, Travis got you know burns on his body and stuff like that. So he almost died, and then they're like, "Holy crap!" Like. What, what and we almost lost our brother because you know they they're they're you know toured together went all over you know they're they're so so close best friends and all this but because they got in a fight over different things you know they almost lost their quote-unquote brother they got back together put out you know album tour and stuff like that broke up again you know just disagreement different directions just you know things they want to do and then you know years later then mark hoppus bassist gets cancer and he didn't think he was going to make it. He thought he was going to die and all that. Thank God. And I, and I, don't, I know I don't mention God a lot, but thank God he survived. He beat it. And, and then there's they're like, what are we doing? You know, why are we doing this again? So that's what the song is about. And it's like, you know, do I have to die to hear you miss me? You know, do I have to die to hear you say goodbye? I don't want to wait for tomorrow. I don't want to do this one more time. It's like, I don't want to, we, we can't get in this fight. We can't break up again. And then make up after this because there might not be a next time, and it's just it's just it's a really heavy song, and and it's you know it's so yeah it's about the band, but you know it's so easy to relate to if you have any relationships that if you've gone distance and you know 
you know, because it, it's so easy where, you know, you're, you're just so close to someone, you know, you like talk to them like almost every day. And then maybe because of like some misunderstanding assumption or who knows what, and then all of a sudden you just you stop talking. And then it's like, well, you know, yeah, you could say something, but it's, it's like, I don't know if I should say something. Is it awkward or is, you know, is the wrong idea, even though that wasn't the, that wasn't the intention or whatever. <laughs> and then it's just, it, it, it sucks. Cause you know, you want to talk to this person, but it's like, you don't know if the other person is like, do they hate you now? Because you haven't talked to them. Do they just not care anymore? Do they just moved on? There's no, no what's whatever. And I, I don't know. I feel like as, as I'm getting, I'm getting a little too heavy here, but uh, maybe I should just, just stop, just edit this or just whatever. But, you know, sometimes I wonder, it's like, you know, when is, when's my time going to, you know, my, when's my time up? And I know I hopefully knock on wood have, you know, many years left, but sometimes I feel like I'm just like, okay, you know, it, it's going to come and not to get really morbid or anything. And, you know, I, I never really, you know, really talk about this, but so I don't know. I mean, I, I just feel like you just, you know, life is so unpredictable. You know, there, there is something else that, that happened, which I'm, it's not my place to discuss because it's not, it didn't happen to me personally, but it's just, life is just so full of tragedies and you just got to appreciate each other while we're here. And so I, you know, I've been kind of carrying this, this heavy, whatever, you know, not heavy load, but it's just, I'm just really, really bummed about, you know, certain things. And so the song is just, it just really, really hits home. But <laughs> let's just move on because how, I don't even know what, what, what I can't see the time uh, on, on this. Um, that, that's just way too long. But that's, that's been where I've been at lately, you know, just, just trying to, to deal with life and everything and just, you know, try to get by and try to put on the brave face, you know, as I, as I teach the kids and, and just you do the podcast and just just trying to you know yeah like I said just just get by and uh, speaking of get by let's get by there's no more news let's that's news for the week all right with comics uh, image comics oh I didn't read Kaptara Universal Truths number two I I thought I read everything because I was like scrambling to, to read everything like right before I doing things out of order. Uh, reading out of order. Um, yeah, I didn't read that because that, that I still need to look into. Was there an actual volume one? Because I feel like like Chip Zdarsky's pulling my leg. So that came out. Um, Monstrous. I'm so tragically behind on that. Newburn. I, I think. Okay, I just realized when I say Newburn, I, I think I'm trying. I, I feel like I should be saying Newborn because it's just that scene. Newburn just doesn't sound natural. Newborn is a you know word that we've heard many many times. Newborn, number eleven. You know I I I, I talked about this every, every every time it comes out. It's it's such a interesting book. You know you got this dude. He's working with all the different like crime families and the police and and what we're seeing more and more. What it feels like because in the beginning it felt like he was kind of untouchable. You know because he because he worked for all the different crime organizations. You know no one could do anything but it feels like more and more people are, are kind of almost kind of like threatening him. They're like, okay, well you need to, you know, fix this or you need to take care of this or you need to go talk to do whatever. 
and and it's almost like like a or else type of thing so things are getting a little dicey and i i think there's some because you know not people don't like him they and especially like, like the police and some other people you know other some of the crime families they don't like the fact that they have to work with him that you know that he is kind of untouchable so i feel like you know they're they're trying to look for a way to take him down and and part of the, the thing is you know he probably i'm trying to remember it's like you know he probably has information on people so that that you know helps him be untouchable because if anything were to happen to him then all the deep dark secrets are out or whatever so it's it's a it's it's, it's a cool book and and I, I i like how i i would say this you know i i my my love is superhero comics you know that that's always like my number one comic passion but i i enjoy when i, I i'm just i love when another genre is just when, when i find it when i get sucked into it because you know i always say horror comics they have to be done very carefully for for it to work for me. Sci-fi comics, the same thing. You know, a lot of times it's just the the colors and whatever. It just it doesn't feel right, and and I might be just a weirdo in the thinking, but I I like when we can have a comic that isn't necessarily superhero as much as I love those because I I always find it fascinating to see a different genre that's being adapt or being told in, in, in the comic format. I, I think that that's so cool. So we have that. Um, then there's also the schlub number two. So this is Ryan Stegman comic. And uh, basically he had this, <laughs> this dude, he is not a likable character. And it's, it's almost like Rick Remender's like scumbag. Uh, this, this dude, you know, he's, he's just, he's not a good person. And because of crazy events, he gets body swapped with like the big ultra superhero. And now he's kind of having a blast with it. And then the, the superheroes, he's in this human body now. And, you know, he's trying to deal with that. And the fact that like, he's not protecting certain areas now because this other guy is doing it. And he's trying to, they're kind of working together now. Cause you know, the, this, the schlub dude doesn't know what he's doing and everything. And, but you know, some of the things he's going to do for like kind of personal gain. So it's, it's, it's an interesting book and, you know, is it the most original, you know, we've seen so many body swap things, you know, whatever, but I, it, it's, it's, it's fun because it's not trying to be super serious and it's just, it, there's some weird, you know, wacky things that, that happens. So we have that. Oh, I just realized, wait, void rivals. I didn't read that. Um, and then what's the furthest place from here? Number 14. It was so weird when I'm reading this. So I, I've loved this comic from the beginning. I mean, this is another one. It, it's, it's a different genre. Yeah, I, I would definitely say if you haven't read what's the furthest place from here, go read it. You know, get the first trade. It, it's, you know, it's, it's a really cool book. Like the art is and the colors are really great. But when, when I'm reading this issue, I almost felt like, I felt like the art was different. I'm like, wait, no, someone else didn't do this. I was like, uh, it was just, just kind of weird. And what, what's, what, what I like about it was cool is it feels like, you know, the story has progressed and grown and not, and not, I wouldn't say evolved, but it's, it's gone beyond, you know, the first little location, you know, the, these kids living in like a record store in this post-apocalyptic world and everything. And then, you know, expanding out and seeing more stuff. So it's been really cool to see all that. 
And then, you know, where we're getting ideas like, okay, what caused all this change? You know, where did all the adults go? Like what's happening? And, and we see a little bit more and more and we're seeing like other people, other groups, cause there's kind of different gangs, you know, with different themes and stuff like that, but we're just seeing more and more. And, um, yeah, I don't want to say, I don't want to spoil anything, but this issue in case you haven't been reading it, but it's just, it's, it's a, it's, I feel like there's just a lot of layers to it, even though it, it doesn't, like the premise doesn't feel like it, there would be a lot of layers to it, but it's it's just it, it's keeping me you know captivated. So you should definitely be be checking that out. At Marvel Comics, uh, I just realized um, I didn't read everything there. I didn't read the X Men Days of Future Past. Um, was it yeah Days of Future? I felt thought there was a different Doomsday Days of Future Past Doomsday. I knew there was like some other news. So the third issue came out. So looking at the cover now, <laughs> I'm kind of glad. I hate Ahab. I, I'm not a fan of that character, and I don't know if it's because he, the you know, had control of Rachel, turned her into a hound, and he's just not a good guy. But um, I need, I definitely need to read that. So we had Avengers issue five, and I, I, with each issue, I'm just so confused that I don't like this comic more than I like it. Because, you know, it's Jen McKay. I have loved, ever since I first started reading Jen McKay's Marvel works, I've, I've loved everything he's done. You know, like this Black Cat stuff. I mean, it's been so good. I mean, I've always liked Black Cat, but his Black Cat, there's just something about it. It's just so amazingly good, in my opinion. And, you know, I don't want you to think it's like, oh, the entire, every single issue should get an Eisner Award or whatever. But it's it's just been so good, so fun. And, you know, I, I feel like he's, like, you know, developed a character, you know, Felicia and, you know, just not necessarily Evolver. I mean, she's still the same character, but he's just made her so, you know, even more interesting. And then, you know, his Moon Knight, I was a little skeptical because, you know, I'm, I'm really like Moon Knight. His Moon Knight's been great. With his Avengers, I, so the, my problem with his Avengers is the villain group that they're fighting. And it, it is a very world-threatening group of aliens, you know, beings or whatever. And it's, 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 it's a huge, humongous threat, but I don't know. I mean, it's not that I want them to, to fight like, you know, the ringmaster, you know, someone, some small fry or, or someone, I, I, there's just, I don't, I don't know what it is about it. There's something that I just can't like fully, get into but I don't, I don't know but i i do like the character choices you know the, who we have on a team and seeing like certain characters work together you know like we have uh captain sam wilson captain america and black panther because you know they can't stand each other or sam can't stand t'challa or whatever and you know it's them working together so there, there's some some cool things here but um i'm, I'm kind of waiting for this this story arc to wrap up so we can fight someone else. And so there's also like supposed to be stuff with Kang and we haven't seen a whole lot of Kang. Kang was in this, right? Or am I thinking of the ultimate, ultimate invasion? I'm pretty sure Kang was in this too. Yeah. Anyways, um, there's Avengers. Is it an annual Avengers? Uh, yeah. Contest of chaos. No way. I, I can't, I can't do it. And that's the other thing as you're know, talking about getting older and you may have noticed, I, I think it's, it's pretty evident. As I get older, I, I just, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I can't read something that I just don't like, that I don't enjoy. And 
at the same time, so like, let's say you are enjoying this Contest of Chaos. You think this is an awesome series. I can't imagine it would be fun for you to hear me say, oh, I'm just so bored. I don't see the point of this. I feel like it's not going, you know, and then, but then you're like, but I really like it. I, I thought it was just a lot. Of, I thought it was really cool. And then you're saying it's not cool. And and if if my opinion means anything, then, you know, I don't want anyone to question you know, am I wrong in liking this? Because, you know, no, that you're not wrong because everyone should like what they like. And yeah, that was one of the things, you know, it, it meant a lot to me in the comic buying days, you know, when we were doing reviews where, you know, people were like, are you going to review this? Are you going to review this? It's like, you know, they wanted to read our reviews. They wanted to hear what we said. And I don't know if it's so much, you know, they wanted to know if it's like a way to validate what you like. So, okay, I like this book. What did you think? Is is am I right in that? Is oh you like this too? It's cool. Okay, yeah, I, we're on the same wavelength. You know, I don't think it's it's that, and but it's just yeah, I, I don't know. But I I just I don't feel like it's really productive, and I've never really wanted to do that because when we started cutting back on reviews, you know, some people were like, "You're only giving like four four and five star reviews." You know, everything is is supposed to be really good, and it's like no. It's not that everything is really good. It's just that we're only really reviewing the stuff that we really like. The other stuff we talked about on the podcast. We talked about pretty much everything. And if something was bad, like Joker's daughter, <laughs> I did review that. But yeah, so it's it's I, I feel like it's not productive for me to read something that I know I'm not going to like. And then just to kind of poo-poo it uh, on there. And also the thing is, you know, I, I don't think it's... You know, if someone worked hard writing the comic and drawing it and, you know, inking it and coloring it, it, it just, it's, it would be a bummer, to, you know, for me to say, oh, this, this stunk. But it's just, everything is a matter of opinion. So in my opinion, I just, I can't get into this and I'm a grumpy old man or what I don't know. Um, Blade three. I never read Blade two. Uh, I I kind of like the first issue. You know, I the thing is, and not, nothing against that first issue. It's just I'm not the biggest Blade fan. You know, I I enjoyed the first movie when it came out, and uh, I I enjoyed all three movies. I, I thought they were fine. You know, I thought you know I liked Wesley Snipes Blade, even though you know all three movies weren't great. But I even liked the third movie, although I haven't seen it lately. Uh, but I think part of the thing with, with this Blade series, it was a little weird because, you know, we had Blade's Daughter series, you know, Blade there. And then this Blade is like, wait, where's his, where does Daughter go and everything? And maybe she popped up in the second issue. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I, I feel like I should read these, but we'll see. Um, Death of the Venomverse. How, what, how long is it going to take this Venomverse to die? And what does that even mean? We're not going to have all these random venoms anymore. Uh, Immortal Thor. I'm trying to think if I did. I even flip through this. I think I've. Yeah, I did flip through this, and I was like, I don't even know what's going on because I haven't really been reading it because it's 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 just too too Asgardy for me. Um, I did read Invincible Iron Man. Uh, I, I be, I'm enjoying this, even though I'm not like the biggest Tony Stark fan. Because I just find his arrogance just... He, it's just almost like he's too smarmy. And, you know, that's... Eh. But because it's Jerry Duggan, 
I, I just, I'm really, you know, enjoying this. And just a whole Tony Stark, Emma Frost wedding thing. I, I, I was like, what, what is this all about? And I, I can see why it is, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing the reasons for that. I don't like this whole Orcus. Every time I say Orcus, I feel like it's supposed to be Osiris. I don't know where I'm getting this Osiris from. But the whole Orcus and follow the X-Men, follow Krakoa. I, I get it. You know, we can't have the X-Men on top. You know, they were on top for way longer than I, I thought they would. But I, I, and I, I feel like I've already talked about this. You know, I don't want to just rehash the whole thing. That I, how I, I feel it's ridiculous that the entire world just so quickly turned on mutants. I, I, I know I talked about this last week about how mutants have no rights and you know, it's just major. Is it racism, speciesism, xenas? What I don't know. But it's it's cool how we're seeing some events in this issue that we already saw in X Men. You know, just kind of like a slightly different angle, and and just the idea of like, wait, are they actually getting married? Is this really going to happen? So we have that. Jean Grey issue two. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm a little confused with this, and and probably part of it is because I didn't read. I, you know, since I'm not doing interviews really anymore for comics at least i it's like i didn't know what the purpose of this this series like the direction it felt like okay gene gray quote unquote died during the fall of x but then we have this series so it's like okay this series is gonna deal with her coming back somehow because you know mutants can come back even though everything is just all up in the air now but that first issue is just so it was it was like a, a big what if book because you know it's like when the original five mutants so you know with bendis and and um stuart even when they did their original x-men going into the future or our present all the you know they had all these crazy adventures and they eventually had to go back to their time but like the first issue they still remembered some things and gene's like well we have the the chance to change some things you know we can we can deal with Magneto before, you know, he becomes really evil or, you know, do whatever. So they're just really, Gene was just really going off the rails and just really being hardcore. It's totally out of character. It was just it was like, wait, what is going on? And here we're dealing with like some Phoenix stuff. And it's just, I, I don't know. It, where is this going? So obviously this isn't, really happening it's just it's 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 kind of kind of weird uh marvel unleashed i didn't read that i, I kind of read the first issue so here's a turnoff for me is uh what's what this dude named black black not black heart is it what's mephisto's son's name i i yeah i'm not super crazy but you see him on the cover and then you know he did appear last last issue but it's like uh yeah so i i didn't read this and it just yeah we'll see <laughs> um then there's a moon knight city of the dead issue three and um this is this is okay for me you know i i love moon knight part of the thing what what i'm a little confused with is the city of the dead and i i, I think i've mentioned this before where i was under the impression that the city of the dead is kind of like an Egyptian thing, you know, because of Khonshu or whatever, 
somehow so mark is going because there was this the, the sons of the jackal or whoever this group was they kidnapped this kid and they're going to kill him but he's still kind of alive so mark's going after to try to save this kid's life or his soul so he has to die to go to the city of the dead and hopefully he can come back and all that but then we're seeing all these people all these villains who mark's either kind of directly or indirectly killed as as moon knight whatever and you're like oh you did this to me i'm gonna get revenge on you so it's like wait this isn't just this like egyptian or Kanshuian or whatever city of the dead this is kind of like it's not really hell because you know mephisto kind of almost has that corner and so it's like wait why would someone kill someone who died or was killed in new york or new jersey whatever be in this other and not that it's another religion you know because we could have different beliefs coexisting different afterlifes if you want to if you want to believe in this god or that god this is what i'm saying so if if you know you want to believe in this then yeah you could have this after it's just like with with um as guardians when they die you know it's, it's like if if Thor dies, he's not going to be in, in the same hell or same purgatory as, you know, Bob the salesman who d- defaced his or defrauded whatever, you know, his company and end up getting hit by bus, whatever. You, you get what I'm saying? So it just, it's, it's almost like a little convenient that the main dead people we're seeing are people who have a bone to pick with Moon Knight. Like, where's, where's everyone else? Like, is a I'm trying to think of another villain who who's dead that we who are villains that are dead. Uh, I was gonna say like Captain George Stacy, but you know he, would he be in this hell or whatever? I don't know, and I guess we'll, we'll just see where this is gonna go. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, then we have Ms. Marvel, the New Mutant number two. This is um. I, I've been enjoying this, you know, and I really want to like this because of Iman Vellani. Is that how you say her name? You know, because she's like co-writing this. You know, I I want to support this. I think it's it's cool that she's that you know actually actually knows the comics, she reads the comics, and and you know how much does she know? You know how much is she writing or co-writing? I don't know. I don't care. I think it's it's awesome that she's involved with this. My main thing with this this comic. Is so the premise is you know Kamala's going undercover, she's going to this like summer camp school you know smart whatever tech school thing to f- try to get an inside edge on Orcus. While she's on campus, you know this incident where there's a threat, so she's like, I got to be Ms. Marvel, I got to save lives and do that. And then what? But what she does is because she's so excited about now that she's an, a mutant or a co-mutant or half mutant, new human or inhuman mutant, whatever, she has an X-Men costume and she's doing all the stuff. And because everyone hates mutants now, all of a sudden at the drop of a pin, drop of a hat, I don't know what the difference is there. So now everyone hates Ms. Marvel. But the thing is, it's like they automatically assume she's, you know, or she's wearing an X-Men color, so she's a mutant. But what if she is just was really you know what if she was friends with with the x-men because you you can't just you know the x-men did all this good stuff and then now you're saying because of the medicine that was coming out of krakoa is supposedly 
you know, the orcas tampered with it. So it looks like mutants were going to be controlling humans. You can't, yeah, how do you know that that's, I mean, it could have been, you know, be Hank McCoy doing all this and, you know, had his own scheme. And then, so uh, that means I, I need any good deed that the X-Men did is just evil. You know, they had ulterior motives. So maybe because, you know, if you want to say Ms. Marvel was on, was in the new, was in the, the champions, and I think I've, I totally forgot the name of the, the champions when I was talking. I think it was the champions, right? See, now I'm starting to wonder if, if that was a champ. The team that she was on with Nova and Miles and young Cyclops. So she was on a team with Cyclops, a mutant, an X-Man. So maybe she feels bad about all mutants, almost all mutants disappearing. And she's wearing the colors of solidarity. But no, they're like, oh, she's a mutant. We hate Ms. Marvel now. And, and, and then... Orcus is like, Ms. Marvel was on campus, so she must be going to school here. It'd be like saying, oh, Spider-Man swung by, so he must be here too. No. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm, but I'm enjoying this, I'll just say. Realm of X, I, I want to like this more, but it's, <laughs> because it's, it's in, like, other world, you know, there's a little too uh, Lord of the Rings, sword and sorcery type, you know, old-timey. It's old-timey stuff. It's hard, you know, when you got, like, sword fighting, I I really don't know what my problem is with that, why I have this, like, block where it's just like, ugh. And then you got Typhoid Mary, which I never really liked Typhoid Mary, and I know she's kind of like, I don't know, do people really like her, you know, whatever? Was she like Frank Miller, you know, whatever? I just don't really care for her, but she's stuck with, with them during this other other realm now. And we find out kind of like why they, they went here when all the other mutants had kind of disappeared or went elsewhere when they were forced through the, the portals. And then she's, because she's just such a jerk. And, and I know that's the point of having Ms. or having Typhoid Mary here is she can just be rude and obnoxious and, and everything like that. But like Eliana, who I do really like, you know, her, her powers are all wonky, out of whack. And Typhoid Mary is just being so mean and rude because that's just who she is. And I don't know. And then we get this, this young mutant curse. I think that's her name. I don't even remember what, I, I don't even know where she first appeared because I must not have seen that. I don't think it was in the first issue. But she's just this young mutant girl. And maybe because she's just a little kid, I mean, she's acting kind of spoiled. You know, she runs off because she's annoyed or whatever. And it's just, it's just annoying. <laughs> uh, let's see, we, so we had Spider-Man India, which I'm not reading. We had Storm, Dr. Afra, which I, I liked. I really liked the character, but I didn't. I didn't read this issue because it's the dark droid, or droid stuff, and I'm just kind of losing interest in that. Ultimate Invasion, issue four. I'm, yeah, I, I really want to like this. You know, it's Jonathan Hickman, so I was like, yeah, this should be really cool, but I, I feel like I just talked about this, and, and part of it is because of Ultimate Reed Richards, maker, or whatever his name is. I, it's just hard for me to, to get into, and... You know, then we have this alternate world because this isn't the regular ultimate universe. And, and you know, this is setting things up for the return of the ultimate universe or whatever it, it is. And I, I'm just, I just can't, 
it's it's hard it's it's hard for me to, to get through this and if you're enjoying it again that's great but something is just just not not really working for me and, and i'm not really sure what the deal is uh moving over to dc comics so we had the flash number one um, so this is Simon Spur. I, I almost I totally forgot that Mike Diodato is is drawing this, which I think is really cool. I'm trying to think like, w- w- has he ever done DC? He I mean, he must have done drawn something at DC before, but you know he mainly has been doing Marvels. You know, big chunk of his his stuff has been Marvel. So I I think it's really cool that he's you know doing this. So we we have the Flash and. Um, it's a, I, I, I think it, it's a compelling first issue. You know, we have, so, you know, big threats. We have you know, big dangers. You know, what's going on with Flash's powers and, and you know, things are being hinted. Is, is you know, something bad going to happen? And the only thing is, like, Wally's kids, I, know, I feel bad for, like, not liking them. But it, I just, I, I find them a little annoying sometimes and, and just... But whatever, I guess kids are annoying sometimes. I don't, I don't know, but we'll we'll, we'll see. Uh, I I think it, it's a it's a good start because the the last you know few issues of the of the Flash, the last few issues felt like I said something totally wrong. The last few issues, it, it was just okay for me. You know, it it just it wasn't really doing it for me. So hopefully this gets back. But now the other thing is. Did we ever find out where Barry was? Because then they went to look for him because he was with the United Just uh, Justice League Dimension, whatever. I don't know. Uh, Action Comics 1057. Okay. Um, one thing I didn't like about this, and I, I can't spoil it, but we have this um, Blue Earth group. This, which they're 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 being called like a terrorist group. So they are like anti-alien, and they're like you know we're being invaded, blah blah blah. Should just be humans. And you know part of the thing is with the War World refugees when they came back when Superman returned. So you know there's a bunch of aliens uh, on Earth, but they're like no, we we can't have aliens. You know they shall be killed. And so basically what, what, what's going on in this issue is the leader of the group wants to do an interview at the Daily Planet. And Lois, who is acting as editor-in-chief, she agrees to it. She's like, we got to do this. And when like Clark finds out, he's like, what? He's like, are you serious? And she's like, if, if we don't do it, they're just going to go talk to someone else, some rag or whatever, and they're not going to ask the hard-hitting questions. So this is our way to control the narrative and you know, really get down to, you know, what, what the deal is and all that. And then what it turns out is the, the leader that's coming in will only do the interview if they can be interviewed by Clark Kent. So they specifically wanted Clark Kent because of his reputation as, you know, being like a good person and, and being fair and, you know, all that. So there's a, <sighs> Uh, you can maybe can, there, there's there's another reason that they just wanted Clark there and that's like, mm, I don't know and then we had the backup story and you know, we got uh, the Dan Jurgens um, Lee Weeks uh, Superman and Lois and John Kent which is great because we have John Kent as a kid as he should be 
not as a as a teenage you know just i just i don't know why they had to age them but yeah so that that was fine um there was something oh one thing that that did kind of i did i didn't like is so superman got his secret identity back you know there's this big whole ordeal it's like okay genie's put back in the bottle just a few people are gonna know um other people it, it just can't be Superman, it, it, it was a touching scene. It opens up where he's having lunch with like a construction worker up on a building and everything like that. And they're just talking about things. And, and then, but then Superman mentions like, oh yeah, my wife and the kids, you know, things are great and all this. I was like, dude, if you just got your secret identity back, no one knows that Superman's married or has a kid. Or he said kids because he's referring to like the, uh, the, the two alien war world refugees that he's kind of adopted. So it's just, and maybe because this dude who was an ex-con, maybe, you know, he's going to, you know, keep it secret, but uh, that this, it's such a minor thing. It just, it kind of took me out of the, the comic. I was like, wait, no, no one, you can't talk about being married because no one knows that. Batman Brave and the Bold. I'm I'm not liking the series. So this is one of those anthology comics. It feels like it's it's like 200 pages because it's just the story is just it feels like it goes on and on. So the the first story is t- um, Tom King and Mikael Jonan. It's a Joker story. It's like a Batman Year One Joker story, and Joker is like super creepy here. I mean, just the the art and just the way his eyes look. It's 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 creepy, but this i felt like i don't know this it's this chapter felt so long and there's a lot of panels that were just repeating there there's a lot of you know knickknack paddywhack you know whatever this old man he played one he played knickknack on my thumb and it's like that same thing was that same panel just kept appearing always it's just you know just the letter the text and i'm just like oh my gosh here we go again and yeah, I just started losing interest. And then there is a the Stormwatch uh, next chapter. So that's Ed Brisson, and something about it. I don't. I really want to get into it because I like the character, especially because you know Ravager is there, and I, I really like Ravager, and uh, you know I really like Tom, uh, Ed Brisson's writing. But there's something I, I just can't really get into it. So I, I end up kind of skimming through it, even though I, I feel like I want to read it. And, you know, maybe it's, it's a time factor. Like, if, if I had more time, then maybe I would do it. I don't know. The third uh, story chunk is uh, Harcourt. That's her name, right? The What's her name from uh, Peacemaker? So, we, we get this is a, the second chapter of her story. And it's just, it's okay. You know, she got some superpowers. And, you know, she lost her memory. And basically, I think Amanda Waller is just like manipulating her. So it's like, okay, whatever. You know, what else is new? So we have that. And then the last, what was the last story? It was another Ed Brisson. Was it a Batman? I, I'm totally drawing a blank now. It, it's a, it's a really late right now. No, that's not an excuse. And there's still so much to talk about. And then there's a Tales of the Titans. Donna Troy. This this that was okay. Uh, I you know, I really like Donna Troy, but the the story itself. It, it was was fine. Uh, we have Power Girl number one, which um, I, I think it's great that Power Girl has 
her own series. I don't know how we feel about the state of Power Girl now. And, you know, one of the, the, the things, they changed her name. You know, she's no longer Karen Starr. She's Paige. I don't even know if she, I remember if she has a last name. And I'm wondering if they're changed her name because Karen, you know, when you call someone a Karen, maybe there's that. But Paige is apparently because everyone calls her PG, you know, for Power Girls. A Paige is kind of PG and... I don't know. But the, the thing that really turns me off here is, you know, so Power Girl has, has finally just been sort of brought into the, the Superman family because she always felt like she was on the, the outskirts. She wasn't like approved because she was from an alternate Krypton. You know, she didn't, you know, they, they, like no one liked her and all this stuff. So there's this whole, you know, stuff like that. And I think it was really like Jonathan you know, Kent, that was like, like, dude, like, no, you know, you're part of the family and everything like that. So it's finally coming around, you know, being accepted. It was like, awesome, great. This is how it should be. You know, why is she so separate from Superman? You know, there should be more, because they, I don't care, maybe they're not directly related, but they kind of are, because they're both kind of from Krypton, even though they're different Kryptons. But so she, you know, she's, it has this new identity, she's whatever, uh, bad guys come and do stuff and things don't go smoothly. And then Superman being a jerk about it. It's like, what were you doing? What? It's like, dude, why, who made you the boss of everything that you're getting in her face about that? Where it's like, okay, so what if, what if like blue beetle just, what if he does something about up? Are you going to go and lecture him? It's like, why, what gives you the right to lecture Power Girl is because she's from a different Krypton, so you have domain over her. That's just, it's just so out of character because Superman's supposed to be such a nice guy and he's just being such a dick. <laughs> Batman, Catwoman, Gotham or whatever. Uh, what's this issue called? Um, so this is, what was interesting about this it actually takes place like two weeks before uh, all this started, like before. So Batman must have still been in his sleep coma thing. And we see when Selena and Jason Todd first start talking, you know, she's got this idea. She wants to take the, the henchmen, the criminals off the street, teach them to be cat burglars and, you know, not work for Two-Face and Joker and Mr. Freeze or Scarecrow, whoever. The good and the bad. So, you know, we, we kind of see why Jason's involved. And mainly it's like, He's trying to, he wants to find Joker. So he's still so, this issue is like, like I thought he was, you know, he's just so obsessed with finding the Joker. It's like, he's had interactions with Joker. He's not that so purely obsessed, but that's what we get here. So it was just, it was, it was a little, little kind of weird. And the other thing, I don't know when it was decided that, Jason Todd doesn't that Red Hood doesn't need a secret identity because it's like so like everyone practically knows that Red Hood is Jason Todd but then people also know that Jason Todd that you know he was you know almost everyone knows that he was Robin that he was working with Batman so it can't be that difficult unless Batman had all his records expunged but it's like people are going to find out that Jason Todd was a sort of award or was taken in by Bruce Wayne at some point. 
at the same time when there was Robin, because some people kind of figured out, it's like, oh, this must be a different Robin because he's not acting like Dick Grayson Robin or he's a little younger because, you know, Robin grew up and some people know that he's Nightwing. Anyways, so it just seems like such a huge risk for Jason Todd just to let everyone know that he used to be Robin and when you can kind of maybe put things together. I don't know. Green Arrow, number four. This is a... I, I don't really know how I feel about this. You know, this whole Green Arrow, like, going around time type of thing. You know, he the family can't be together, so he's forced to be apart from them because of something that's bound to happen when they're all together or whatever. You know, destruction or death of how many people and... So it's like, it's kind of a bummer that they, they can't be together. You know, Ollie can't see Dinah and Roy or whatever because whatever. And then we got Parallax. It's like, wait, what? It's good. I But I, I can't tell if I'm not like totally gung-ho about it because I want there to be more happiness. So I don't know. Detective Comics 1074. I've been just having a hard time reading Detective Comics. And even though this is, I think it's still kind of, I, th- I think it was like a part two or chapter two, but it's like a part one of a new story arc or something. I just, I couldn't, I tried flipping through it because it's like Dustin Wynn art, which I love, but I just couldn't get into the story. Another story I can't get into is The Penguin, number two. So Tom King, he's doing you know, a good job writing this. I just cannot stand the penguin. I just don't care for the penguin. And Tom King is, he's, he's done an amazing job making the penguin more of a threat. Like, you know, a character should be taken more seriously. He is just like totally like off the rails, like ready to kill anyone. Again, where's that hat? So I can drop that hat. You know, he's just, He's so brutal, and we haven't always seen that. It seems like just, you know, in the last decade or two, he's mainly been, you know, hanging out the Iceberg Lounge, sitting in his office, and not really doing a whole lot, not really getting his hands dirty. But it's just like, it's just, yeah, like super intense. Um, so with, with that, with the idea, it's it's a cool idea, kind of. I just don't like the penguin. So I was, I wanted to read this and this might be another, another instance where like, if I had more time, then maybe I would read it, but I just was kind of like skimming through it. And you're seeing the stuff that like, Oh, pink, you know, penguins, you know, taking the lead or doing this, whatever. I just, as, as well written as it may be or whatever, I just, I don't care about the penguin. So it's just hard, even though I know this is a good comic. Unstoppable Doom Patrol number six. This is Chris Burnham's art is just I just I love and this the stories the characters are just so weird and wacky and I can't even describe but it's just I, I'm I'm digging it so you should be reading that um, and then I think that was it oh there's Wildcats issue eleven um, I'm I, I I'm enjoying this you know I I like the sort of new integration of the Wildcats in the DC universe. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny how Batman is like, you know, he wants to get to the bottom of things and, you know, wants to stop them, you know, whatever. And just seeing how, you know, they, because 
Batman is not the lead character, lead focus here. So we're seeing like the others, like Grifter, doesn't care for him and everything. So it's it's interesting. The only thing is the art sometimes was a little distracting. It was like it's it's good. It's way better than anything I could do. But sometimes it, I don't know. It just it didn't feel right. I, I I don't know. And I don't. It it just seemed like it was more a little more distracting for me in some cases than in the past few issues. I I, I don't know. I mean. It, but and and again, it's not that it's bad or anything. There's just it's just like the style sometimes doesn't really fit what I would associate with the Wildcats. I, I don't know. I can't quite you know put my finger on it. And uh, other than that, you know, the Spirit World issue five, which that's that's a comic that I was kind of interested in. I just fell off of it because of time. And Harley Quinn. So this is issue. 32 i have no idea what's going on in harley quinn and i you know i don't know maybe i'd be enjoying it i don't i don't know but i just don't have the time for any of this um and speaking of time we should probably get going so that is gonna be comics for the week okay with the continental season one episode one brothers in arms so i didn't realize so there's only three episodes Three episodes uh, of the season. It's supposed to be like a mini series or a special event or whatever. Cool, awesome, great. Um, they they do a good job. It's a. Uh, it sometimes it's a little. Uh, it's a little slow or a little. I, I don't know, but I, I think overall, the quality is there. You know, it's it is not John Wick. It's in the John Wick universe. You know, we're we're seeing. Early, you know, it's taking place in the 70s. So, you know, you got to keep that in mind. There's no Keanu Reeves. It's, it's not going to be as crazy intense as John Wick. But there are some there are some good fight scenes. Um, some of the fight scenes aren't quite up to, to snuff as a uh, snuff aren't quite up to par, whatever, as, as some of the scenes that we've been spoiled with, I think, in, in the, the different John Wick movies. But overall, it, it is cool to see you know, get an early look at Winston. Um, cause I, I don't, I, I guess I, when I looked at Winston, you know, I, I can respect the character and everything, you know, his position of power, like all the stuff that he's done, everything he's done for John and, and just like, you know, standing up to people and, and all that. But I was like, he doesn't really do a whole lot, you know, cause he, he does, he doesn't have to, cause that's the position that he's in seeing him here younger and getting his hands dirty, you know, getting more involved. It's, it's like, you do get more of a respect for him. And, and I, I guess I never really thought about where he came from and how he got to be the, in a position that he was. Cause it's just like, he's just, you know, sitting back in this hotel running things and he, he's got it easy you know, he doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to worry about anything, but it, it was clearly, obviously wasn't always like that. So it, it's, it's cool to, to, to see that and other things like Sharon, um, you know, to see him way back and, and everything. So let's just get to it because it's an, I don't know if I mentioned it, hour and a half episode. And I, I'm not really clear. I should look at what this one is. So I don't know if they're all an hour and a half and I am a week behind. So by the time you listen to this, episode two is out. So we're going to do this, give you and me, especially me, <laughs> a chance to, to get caught up and watch it, especially if it's going to be you know, an, an hour and a half. I, I don't know if they all are, but that was something. I mean, maybe we'll, we'll see. All right, so it starts off the shot of like a Molotov cocktail. Two kids are running down the street, and we, were, we see it's New York City in 1955. 
kids are brought in for questioning and are sitting in interrogation room. The little kids, you know, he's he's like crying. He's like, Frankie, what's going to happen now? And the, the older brother's like, shut up. He's like, they're watching us right now. A bunch of stupid cops are going to tell us a bunch of fudging lies. He's like, what do you mean, Frankie? He's like, they're going to try to scare us into saying poop. Just don't say nothing, okay? Nothing. But I didn't know. You didn't do anything. I did it. You get that? I did it. And so the little kids, obviously Winston. So it's Winston has a brother. That's the other thing. Did I say that? I don't think I did. I did, didn't even realize Winston had a brother, which makes you wonder, hmm, how come there's been no mention? How come we haven't seen, you know, Winston's brother? So maybe something's going to happen to him at some point in the future because, you know, if this is the 70s, there's a lot of time, right? Then it cuts to years later at the Continental. There's uh, this dude with machine guns, you know, he's, he's, he's with the machine gun. He's sitting in the stairs and he's like, you're not supposed to be down here, Frankie. So Frankie is there older. He's got long hair. He's like, yeah, I know. And then the dude's like, you know, he says something about how he's not supposed to be with the ladies that he's not supposed to be with. And, and Frankie says like, well, you know, what better place to be with a lady that he's not supposed to be with than with a place he's not supposed to be at. So he's hanging out at the Continental. Then he asked the dude, you know, he's like, how does I look? And he's like, just, you know, so the guy's name is Lawrence, which it doesn't matter. He's like, you know, get out of here before I shoot you. So Frankie walks into this he goes into this other place. It's like a big club. There's a party. It's New Year's Eve. Everyone's like, hey, Frankie, Frankie. You know, everyone knows him and stuff like that. A lot of drugs and some debauchery and stuff like that. He goes up like some high rollers table and, and you know, the guy tells, he's like, oh, I picked him off the streets when he was young, blah, blah, blah. And he, he grabs his coat and he leaves. Then, you know, he, he goes out, you know, down the street, goes in the subway. Uh, after, you know, the, the uptown train leaves, him and this other, Frankie and this other dude, they walk down the tracks. There's a ladder laying there. They put it up and then they go up like at, at the top of the, the, the tunnel or whatever. And it turns out they're going to rob the vault at the Continental because they have this big hook and they, they attach it to like the, the, the this vault. And then at the, the lower, I'm describing this horribly. There's a, a part like a hook hanging down because it's it was like like maybe two or three. I forget how many floors like because they, they show it like pan up. And then they have like a hook hanging down into the, the, the tunnel. So a train comes, hooks onto it, whoosh, yanks part of the vault out right as the, as the fireworks go off. So then they climb up, they open the vault, and the one guy's like, oh, look at all this gold. And Frankie's like, we're not here for the gold. And then he opens up this old box. The other guy betrays him. He pulls it, he's like, give me your gun, whatever. They start fighting over it, bullets go flying. And the DJ in the party room ends up getting shot. I don't know if they're on the same floor, if they're like below or something like that. So then Lawrence and the other guy, they come in, they find Frankie. And then this alarm goes off, you know, red light active. So Frankie shoots a steam pipe, jumps down the hole, goes out to like a different floor. They all start like shooting down, you know, the, the alarms like in Invicus on the continental grounds. Invicus, Invicus. Frankie has the box, has this box, it's a little case, and he, he makes it to the stairwell. And this is if you, if you got, they, they must have, this must be online, because I saw this scene, I think it was on John Wick 4 on, on the, 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 the Blu-ray. It's, and this, this is, a, is a cool scene. So, you know, if you want to see this, you can, like I said, you know, look, look it up online. So I'm sure it's on, on YouTube. So he takes out a couple guys coming behind him. Then he shoots some guys coming, you know, up the stairs. He goes up, lots of shooting, lots of death. 
I mean, it's it's a it's a really cool you know stairwell fight scene. Finally, he jumps out a window. He's must be like on a second floor or something like that, and he lands like on this big pile of garbage. So just all this garbage on, on the street. This dude out there shoots shoots like like the garbage, but apparently doesn't hit him at all. So Frankie got lucky. Maybe he's just laying flat. Then he pops up as as the dude's like reloading his gun. But then the dude, bam. <laughs> that was really loud. He gets hit by a taxi. So this lady yells in Vietnamese, according to subtitles, and you know tells him to get in. Then the dude's like shoots. All these dudes are shooting at the taxi, but it's like none of them hit the taxi. No one hits the tires or anything like that. They're out of there. Then it cuts to London. There's this, like fancy restaurant, and you know, this this dude's talking about height restrictions lifted in the city, and you know so. It's actually Winston. He's talking to all these like businessmen that they're you know they're all going to want to build at the tallest building. You know he's like I'll get you. You know it's it's basically you know measuring their penises, whatever. He's like I'll get your ruler and stuff like that. So he says that, but they should be thinking more about where everyone's going to park. And he's like you know four four thousand seven hundred parking spaces filled every day of the week. You know central to all those oversized skyscraper. Everyone's you know so eager to build. He's like I've secured the land, the concrete, the permits. He's like I know two million pounds is a lot of money, Mister Davenport. And then this guy's like numbers don't scare me, boy. But handing my money over to a firm that I've never heard of, who do business with people I've never heard of, doesn't exactly soothe me. And he he says that you know he's he's afraid that he's not convinced. And then uh, Mr. Scott, which is Winston, tries saying that you know he's gonna miss an opportunity. And then the guy's wife, Davenport's wife, sits down because she's bored at her table, and then she asks uh, Winston, you know, and we don't know it's Winston yet. I mean, unless you know the character, to keep calling Mr. Scott. She's like, "What are you trying to lay on my husband, Mister?" And he's like, "Scott, Winston Scott." So this is when we first find out it's him, unless you looked at the credits, you know what actor's playing him. So she's like, what are you trying to lay on my husband, Winston Scott? And he's like, a piece of London, big one, car parks. And then she like chuckles. She's like, car parks? And she's like, gosh. And her husband's like, it is an interesting proposition. And she's like, really, dear? Car parks? And she's like, Winston, do you know what my husband deals in? And he's like, I do. She's got an accent, whatever, because you know they're in London. And she's like, right. Then you'll realize this old duffer has a brand, and that brand is excitement, sex. And she mentions that David Bowie was in her club the other night. Her husband has a piece of his tour. And it's not um, because he's in the car park business. And Winston's like, oh, then you must know Tony DeFries then, you know, David's business manager. Because he, he handles, you know, David, the who. And, and she's like, mm-hmm, Lou Reed. Yes, of Tony. Of course, we know Tony. Then Winston's like, then um, this should be of in- interest to you because Tony's actually one of my biggest investors. He's like, come to think of it. He motions like the waiter, you know, for a phone. He's like, I'm sure he wouldn't mind being made aware of other exciting investors thinking of joining the party. So then he picks up the phone, apparently calls the Tony DeFries dude. And he's like, oh, you know, sorry to bother you. He's like, would you mind saying a quick hello to Mr. Davenport? And he's like, yes, that Davenport. Well, well no, she and her husband are, are contemplating joining our venture. And I thought maybe you, okay, we'll do, Tony. The phone is passed to lady, and she's like, Tony, Rosalind Davin, right, yes, hmm, oh, he did, um, he did say, hmm, and she's like, right, well, thank you for your time, we'll see you soon, lovey, yes, bye-bye, and she hangs up, so, and she's like, well, I came here to be bored, ta-da, 
And her husband's like, oh, there's no need to be rude. She's like, rude? I'll tell you what's rude. Me calling you a fudging moron. He, he has just torn you a new a-hole. And she tells someone, she's like, get my car or something like that. And Winston, he's like, well, thank you for considering. And then the dude raises his hand and he looks around. And he's like, wire the money. And then the wife is like ticked off. Because so she's basically saying, this is ridiculous. This is a horrible deal. But then the husband's like, well, we got to do it. So then, then Winston is enjoying a drink and smoking his, his hotel. And he's looking out at Big Ben. There's a knock at the door. It's Davenport's wife. And she's like, told you he'd do the opposite of what I say. And Winston's like, I've been seeing that side of you. You were amazing. More talk and then leads to smooching and da da da, etc. Later, um, he's dressed. She's in the shower. And he notices like the window's open because like the curtain's like, like blowing. And then it looks like the door to the hallway is open. He goes out there, looks out there, and then you see behind him, there's three masked dudes. They grab him from inside. They bring him. He starts fighting. Kind of, you know, he's doing all right. And then out in the hallway, this maid's coming down the hall. She's got, you know, some blankets. She pulls out a needle. She walks in, injects him in the neck. Then he gets carted out like in a box and then put in the back of a van. Then it cuts to New York. We see Cormac O'Connor, who's played by Mel Gibson, He's talking to like four guys standing in, in like in his office. He tells one guy, he's like, shoot, shoot this guy, you know, the guy next to him. And he's like nervous. He's like, uh, the rules. Then Cormac's like, right, the rules. He tells Sharon, who is Lance Reddick's character, but a lot younger. He's like, you know, it's, it's kind of stuffy in here. Could you open the, the veranda doors? He's like, well, yes, of course. So he opens uh, you know, the door. He's like this, he, or he continues at the institution is, is part of very old and sacred fabric. You know, what a mess he would have made if he was to tear that fabric. You know, how disappointed his superior would be because no matter how angry I am that you four have not retrieved the coin press like I asked you. He's like, I can't kill you, not here. So then he's like, Sharon, what becomes of someone who breaks that particular rule? Now this part is like, okay, yes, we've seen the John Wick movies. We know what the rule is, but in case you haven't seen the movies and you're for some reason watching the show, so Sharon's like, excommunicado, sir. It's like, how many times have we heard that? And Cormac, Mel Gibson, he's like, that's Latin for you're fudged. He's like, I'm going to be persona non grata. <laughs> Instead of grata. Deprived of all the privileges and protections that this hotel has to offer. Imagine me walking out of these doors, you know, alive, but suddenly unprotected from all the people that I've hurt over the past 40 years. My enemies hunt me down, or worse. What if they found out my, you know, what if they found my family, a wife, a son, a daughter, or two, and one of the guys kind of looks surprised. He's like, luckily, I have no one. Just Sharon here, who's only a teenager, and I would miss him. But you, well, he's talking to this one guy in particular. He's like, you got a family. You got a whole tribe in Tribeca. So you got a choice to make. You could walk out of here right now, leave your family at grave risk, or you can spare their lives. Simply find the nearest balcony. And he walks up, he whispers, and jump. So Winston is... Uh, taken out out of the van by two dudes he, it's like it's in a rundown area you know so it must be like the, the back whatever there's like graffiti this woman walks out of the building good morning mrs scott i trust your journey wasn't too unpleasant and she's like the manager of the hotel has requested the pleasure of your company and then just then the other dude with the family is screaming and <laughs> splats on the pavement just a little ways down the road and then they just like okay whatever they don't even really do anything they they take winston through the kitchen He's brought up to see Cormac. They make a couple jokes and stuff like that. Then Cormac asks, you know, where's Frankie? 
And Winston's like, you know, usually when a bunch of guys in mass drug me and throw me in the back of a truck and fly me over to Atlantic, they at least offer me a cup of coffee. So Cormac asks Sharon to get him some coffee. Cormac tells Winston that you know he looks good. You know he's done well for himself there in London, and he says Frankie became an asset to him. You know the war made him efficient, you know cold, and earned him a promotion. And Winston's like, well, if he's such a good soldier, what am I doing here? So Cormac's like, well, recently I noticed he was distracted. You know, I just you know chased it up to drugs or to times. There are rumors of a girlfriend. I let it slide. Then he stole something from me, something that holds this entire establishment together, an establishment that wields power beyond your imagination. And Winston's like, this is not my problem. And Cormac's like, it is now. What Frankie took is very important to a lot of dangerous people. So Winston's like, ah, I see what this is about. You're in trouble and I'm debate. Frankie doesn't give a poop about me and I don't give a poop about him. And Cormac's like, I don't believe you. It's like, find him, because if you don't, I'll bring the weight of this whole institution down on you both. And Winston's like, no, I don't think you're hearing me. I don't know or care where Frankie is. So find him yourself. Are we done here? And he's like, yeah. He's like, Sharon, show our guest the, uh, eh, show him the elevator. You know, he's about to say the balcony. Then he tells, you know, after he leaves, he tells one of his guys, like, follow him. So as Winston and Sharon walk out, Winston says that he's guessing Sharon doesn't see many people talk to his boss that way. And Sharon's like, not the ones that I see again. So then we see um, this woman and dude going at it. The dude's like handcuffed. Then she goes to the window. She sees this guy get out of his Buick. He's got a dog. He lets his dog poop on the sidewalk again without picking it up. So she's, she's ticked off. She says she's left him notes and talked to him nicely. And so we find out she's a detective and she's got to go to work. So then there's this awkward moment where they're getting dressed and then the dude like drops a wedding ring and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. And she's like, don't be. She's like, I told you, I don't care. And she's like, you can just leave it on. And then he, then he's like, well, well, maybe I want you to care. And she's like, you know, all I need for you is for, you know, all I need from you is for you to lock the door on your way out. And she's like, you can, you know, have the rest of the coffee. So he's drinking coffee and he looks out the window. He sees her like pick up the dog poop with like paper or something like that. She smears it all over the Buick's windshield and he's just like laughs. So then uh, two guys and this girl and a girl are on their knees at gunpoint. And she's like, so much for get in and get out. They're in this big, like, rundown building. This one foreign dude in a suit, he says that he's going to teach the stupid Americans a lesson in business. It's called removing the middleman. So he picks up a machine gun. And one dude, uh, his name is Miles, we find out. He's like, you better be careful with that. And the lady, she's like, that's a... A big gun for a little man. Then he's like, oh, you just decided who gets to die first. So he goes up to her. He's about to, to shoot her. And then I, I thought that the gun got shot out of his hand, but I don't think it, it might have been defective bullets or something like that. So then there's more firing or something like that because they, they said something about spiked ammo. And then all the men are, are dead except for the main guy. And he lost some fingers. Um, so they, they give them to him and they tell him to tell his boss not to mess with him. So the, the lady, she was supposed to shoot the dude at, at the end, but then she ends up not doing it when the other guys did. Outside, we see the lady detective. She's taking pictures of the dude hold, with his hand. He goes into gets into his, his Corvette. Then um, she calls, like I guess, her superior, this other officer. He's, he's watching a couple guys like fight in an alley. So it turns out one of them is his partner, I guess. And she says that, you know, she's following this, you know, buyer from this, this gun deal. And he asks if, if she has evidence, you know, contraband that, you know, exchange hands. 
And she's like, nah, not yet. And he comments how, you know, she's the first female detective in the precinct. And, and, you know, she's like messing up or something like that. And she says, oh, the buyer's on the move. And he's like, he's like, do not pursue. But she's already out of her call. He's like, De Silva, De Silva. They call her KD. I don't know what her first name is, but her last name is De Silva. So the, the buyer, the dude with his hand, he parked his car in front of the Continental. So she's walking after him. She's about to, you know, she reaches a stair when car pulls up. So her, her boss or supervisor pulls up with the sirens, gets out, tells her to get in the car. And she's like protesting everything like that. Then he says to the doorman, he's like, we're all right. He's like, we'll get out of your hair. And then they, they you know, go in the car, pull into an alley. And she's like ticked off. She's like, what the fudge is wrong with you? And, and he's like, you could have had all of these guys a long time ago. She's like, what do you think you're doing? And she's like, look, I'm looking for the supplier. I think he's in there. And his name is Francis Scott. And, and he's a ghost. And then um, he's like, we have no authority here. Whatever goes on there just, just goes on. So she's like, you think I'm just going to drop a case and go back to making it with, with you, you know, like this conversation never happened? And he's like, keep your voice down. She's like, who are you protecting? And he's like, I'm not protecting anybody. It's not like that. So tell me what it's like, huh, May Mayhew? He's like, you stay to fudge out of there. You understand me? And he gets into his car. So Winston visits this older guy. I think his name is Charlie. You know, they talk about they used to play cars or something like that. Talk about the old days. Um, you know, Winston's how he's in London now. You know, Charlie's like, oh, what are you doing back? And then, you know, he talks to a dude and he, um, he gives him a dress because, you know, he, he wants to know where Frankie's at. He says that that might be where, where he, he might be, like in Chinatown. It's a rough neck of the woods. But that's probably where, you know, he's had, there, that's where he's been having his VA checks sent. So it's a flyer for Burton's Karate. And the guy, Charlie, says that, you know, he doesn't know where he lives, but there's a rumor going around that he's been running guns with some war buddies, which um, could be the, the three people in the, the, the got in a gunfight, whatever. And he's like, I ain't seen your brother in three, four months. For all I know, he's you know, working with that crooked rock sucker. But he doesn't say rock. And Winston's like, he was, and then he stole something from him. And Charlie's like, really? What'd he grab? He's, and Winston's like, I don't know. Whatever it was, it was important enough for Cormac to send a few guys to pull me out of London. So Charlie's like, that must have been some trip. And Winston's like, what's the point? I feel like I'm getting pulled into another one of Frankie's hornet's nests. And Charlie's like, the point is, he's your family. He's family? I don't even know who he is anymore. And I'm supposed to throw away everything I built because my brother returns from Vietnam and goes back to work for the monster that ruined our lives. You know, took our house, put our family in the street and let him rot in jail. So then Charlie's like, why don't you give your brother a break? Okay. He's like, he didn't get a golden ticket to someplace, you know, posh like you did. He got rat tunnels and he got prison bars. And, he, you know, then he complains that it's been 20 years since, and neither one of them picked up the fudging phone. He's like, you know, life has a funny way of picking up the phone. So he's like, so what are you going to do? And Winston's like, I'm going to find Frankie before Cormac does. So then Winston's like, do you have a car? And Charles like, no. And he like asks him again or whatever. He's like, ah. so he reluctantly gives him his car. He's like, okay, this is the love of my life. And I think the car had a name. I forget. So he shows him. It's a 1969 Ford Mustang, which is John Wick's car from the first movie and the second movie. So, and I, I think, I think it might, I don't know if it's the same exact car. I thought it was, which would be weird. But, I mean, it could make sense in some weird connected way. So, Charlie's like, you know, he just has one rule that every time he parks it, he has to cover it. He's like, okay. 
So then we see the gun sellers, um, some miles, you know, the lady's not happy, you know, about killing a room full of guys or having a gun in her face. You know, she wants to be done with all this. You know, she's like, the war is over. And Miles like, okay, this will be, you know, our last one. She's like, you know, you've said these before, but he's like, well, you know, we have to unload these, you know, so they're at the, the karate place, the dojo. She wants to, you know, keep the dojo open, but, you know, it's clearly not open because it's all dirty and everything like that. Everything, everything is run down. Like, oh my gosh, every single building. So we, then now here we found out Miles is her brother. He doesn't care. Um, You know, he says that she's the one that made the promise to dad about the, about the dojo. And he's like, now it's just a money pit collecting dust. So then Winston pulls up, covers up the car, and people around the streets are just like watching him. He goes inside and he talks to a lady. So we find out her name, her name is Lou. And, you know, she's got her hands in the other room, like off to the side, like she's about, to, I think there's like a knife or something that she's, you know, getting ready to grab. They kind of flirt a little bit, whatever. Then she asks if he's looking for lessons. And he's like, oh, I could use some, you know, because my last, the last fight I was in didn't go so well. So she's like, oh, let me give you a tour. And he's like, you know, actually, I'm here on other business. I'm looking for my brother, Frankie. And she like tenses. And then she's like, yeah, I see it now around the eyes. And she's like, take your ass out of here. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's like, no, hold on. She's like, no, uh-uh. I was like, I haven't seen that piece of poop in months. And he stopped picking up his mail. And if you've got his blood in you, you're probably trouble too. So get to getting. And he's like, well, could you just tell me the last time you... I said, go. And then there's like some muffled gunshots. So he pulls out his the little gun, the gun that the dude gave, that Charlie gave him. He pulls on her. And she's like, is that how it's going to go? And he's like, take me now. So they walk into the dojo. There's like a trap door in the middle. And he's like, oh, clever. What kind of dojo is this? They go down some stairs. There's a guy down there with like a big rifle. And when he turns, Winston points a gun at him. And then Lou grabs the gun out of his hand. So then this dude's like, who the fudge are you? And then, you know, Lou's like, second time today, a mother trucker pulled a gun on me. So then she like tosses a gun at her brother who just like walks in. And he's like, who's this? And she's like, Says he's Frankie's brother. Miles, like, cocks his gun. And Winston's like, my name is Winston Scott. I heard gunshots down here, and I thought my brother might be in trouble. So And Miles' like, so you come in here pointing a gun at my sister? And Winston's like, in hindsight, that was probably a mistake. And then the other dude's like, no, that ascot was a mistake. He's like, it's a cravat. And then the guy's like, fudge you. (laughs) I don't know why he said that. So Winston's like, look. I was told Frankie was working here and that you are, you're all his friends, all right? And then she's like, we're friends. And she's like, you know what? This gun thing ain't my, my scene. Y'all deal with him. And she like bumps you know, Winston as she walks past him, goes upstairs. So then he's like, no love lost between her and my brother, it seems, huh? So Miles like, how do we know you're Frankie's brother? So Miles like, his full name is Francis Patrick Scott, named after our father, which is why we call him Frankie. And then the other dude's like, I've seen his dog tags. So Winston's like, look, my brother cut me out of his life a long time ago, so I shouldn't even be here, but I need to find him and I need all the help I can get. So they motion for him. They they go into this other room. It's like full of guns. And Winston's like, if you're trying to scare me, the very large machine gun you're holding already did the trick. Now this just feels like overkill. So Miles tells the other guy, his name's Lemmy. He's He's like, relax, put the gun down. So then Miles like, your brother cut me out too. And I looked out for him when we got back, hooked him up with the kind of work that I was doing over there. And Winston's like, running guns, I'm guessing, because the room is full of guns. And Miles like, there wasn't much else out there for a dopehead and a black vet. 
And Winston's like, can't imagine my brother was the most reliable coworker. And Miles like, oh, we had a gun by one night. Frankie was supposed to pick it up, but he never showed up. Lemmy ended up getting hurt. He's like, shot my perineum. And he's like, right between my balls and my ass. So Miles like, <laughs> he's like, lost my product, my money. Wasn't the first time your brother fudged up. A little while after that, I heard from a buyer that he uh, moved into a hotel. And Winston's like, the Continental. So then yeah, Lemmy's like, so you know the kind of people that are holed up in that place? And Miles like, most of the guys over there had to get used to all the killing. But Frankie just took to it. There's people that just pick up things that can do it. He, if he picked up a gun, a knife, anything you see here, the gun's going to be trying to keep up with him. And Winston's like, that's a heck of a thing to be good at. He's like, were you close with him over there? And Miles like, saving each other's lives enough times will do that. If you need someone in charge of saving your life, I'll take Frankie every time. And Lemmy's like, every time. So Miles like, for a minute, it seemed like he was getting himself straightened out. Met a girl overseas, cleaned up, started talking all this hippy-dippy stuff about fate. Then he lands in New York, ends up getting into some poop. Winston's like, I'm starting to see what, what that's like. Miles like, you ain't the only one looking for him, you know? And Lemmy's like, guy like Frankie, skill set like he's got, you're not going to find him unless he wants you to find him. He's like Casper, the unfriendly ghost. Winston's like, I have to start somewhere. And Lemmy's like, well, he used to roll around down in Alphabet City. Winston's like, huh, our old stomping ground. That's where I'm headed, I guess. And he's like, may I, if he could take his gun? And Miles like, you may, but uh, you might want to take this with you also. And he hands him like a rifle. And Winston's like, a lot of people offer me guns today. So he goes out, <laughs> takes the cover off his car, and you know he's being watched, obviously, probably like Cormac's guy. Then, then we see a shot of like a coin hitting the ground. And it's, it's, there's some like, I think there's some Latin on there or whatever, but it also says Department of the Adjudicator. So it's like, you know, the people like in charge of all this, whatever. So then we, we see this woman, she's looking down. She's in, in another friggin' rundown old building. So there's like this big spiral, big opening. It's almost like an arena or something. Like a thing. So at the bottom, there's a dude tied to a chair. Someone's like just pounding his, this guy's face. He has long hair and he's tied, so he's tied to a chair. At first I thought that it, this was Frankie. So then the woman's like, where is it? And the guy's like, I already told you, Frankie took it. I fudging swear. So this is the other guy that was with Frankie, obviously. And a woman, you know, she, she has this plastic mask like on her lower face, you know, covering her nose and mouth. And there's like, you know, like painted lips you know, on, on the mask. And she's like, you thought you could outsmart the high table? How foolish are you? He's like, I'm telling you the truth. I got paid to do a job and that job got fudged up. That mother trucker left me in there to die. And she's like, are you talking about the mother trucker that you were paid to betray? And the dude kind of like looks down. You're surprised that I know. Are you even aware of what it is you stole? May I ask how much you got paid to steal it? He's like, 40 grand. And she laughs. She's like, keys to the world for a pittance. Not that anyone could put a price on it. The value of that artifact could topple an organization that predates the Roman Empire. What I'm sharing with you is very privileged information. Information I only share with one kind of person the kind who are about to die. He's like, no, please, no. Then the other dude, like, that's inflicting the torture, he, like, grabs him by the throat. And he asks her, you know, what does she want him to do about Cormac? And she's like, nothing. Perhaps his reign is finally coming to an end. And then the dude 
turns up the radio, uh, you know, he tunes it, turns it up, the, up the volume, and he continues just like pounding on a dude, headbutting, and just all the stuff. And the, then we see Winston's driving. He sees this like Marilyn Monroe, Monroe poster or something like that, and he does this like U-turn and intersect. He's like, dude, watch the car. So he so he goes back where he's coming from. Then we see KD, the the lady detective. She walks up to the Continental, and she's staring at the doorman. It's like, oh, dude, don't go in there. She he finally looks at her and he like opens up the door for her. So she goes up. She goes inside. She walks past the desk, goes to the bar, orders a drink, and then then she's like goes you know is looking in her wall in her wall purse wallet whatever, and she puts some money down. And then bartender like kind of stops pouring. He looks over to this dude in like in a pinstripe suit and his glasses, and he like nods at the bartender. So he keep you know keep pours the rest whatever, and then he takes her money, and then she notices like the, I think the like the the suit guy nodded to like a housekeeping lady who then she nods to this dude who walks past her, and he kind of like nods to this other guy whatever, and then there's this uh, a second bartender who's like putting bottles up on a shelf, and you know he's on a little like step stool, and she sees like ankle holster you know with a gun in there. So she like I don't know if she finished a drink, but she takes another drink. She goes up to the desk, and in the suit guy, it's like he's following her, and she kind of looks, but then he keeps walking past her. So the front desk lady, she's like, "And how can I help?" Uh, and she's like, "Yeah, can I get a room, please?" So the lady's like, "I'm sorry, we're fully booked. There are many fine hotels in this area I can recommend if you'd like." And she reaches and it's I don't know why they do it like this. So so I, she reaches into her uh, for a card in like her inner pocket. And Katie can see, like, a holster with a gun, like, under her, her jacket. And then she notices, like, a guy at the bar, like, pays with, like, a big coin. And then she, then she's, the lady's going to ask her if she wants a card. And she's like, no, I'm good. And she, like, leaves. And Sharon, like, watches her walk out. So then Winston parks the car, cover, covers up the car, goes to this old theater. Again, every building is friggin' run down except for the Continental. So as he's walking to the theater, then all of a sudden, the projector light turns on. And the, the Woody Woodpecker cartoon. There's someone sitting in the front, and it's long hair. So then he's like, Frankie? He goes up to him, you know, around the front. There's a mannequin with fudge you written on the forehead. And then a noose drops down, and you see, like, someone leap down, whoosh, pulls him up. So Winston, go, you know, he's got the noose around his neck. I think he got his hand, like, in between. He goes up, and, you know, he tries, like, reaching, drops his gun. So there's a woman, and, and it's it's the lady from the taxi. Because then you hear, like, someone yell, stop, in Vietnamese, and it's Frankie. So he walks up, and he's like, Winston? And he's like, Frankie? Or like, Frankie, because he's, you know, choking. So then the lady asks for Frankie in Vietnamese. She's like, do you know him? And he responds, and back in Vietnamese, that he's his brother. And she's like, you have a brother? So, like, you know, she doesn't even know this. And Winston's like, a little help. So Frankie lowers the rope. And then she says to him in Vietnamese that, you know, you said this place was a secret. I was like that. She kicks Winston's gun away. Then Frankie's like, what are you doing here? And Winston's like, nice to see you too, Frankie. He's like, thanks for a warm welcome. So she asks Frankie, what's he doing here? How do you find him? And Frankie's like, I, that's what I'm, I'm trying to find out. So Frankie asks him, what's he doing here again? And Winston's like, I'm here because apparently you fudged up, Frankie. And, and he, you know, Frankie's like behind him. Wraps his like forearm around Winston's neck. He's like, oh yeah? Says who? And he's like, Cormac. And then the lady gets ready to like stab him or something like that. And she's like, is he with Cormac? And Winston's like, I was in London and Cormac's goons bagged me. You know, told me to, to find you or he'd kill you. And he's like, I don't care what you lifted from him or why, but you need to get the hell out of here. 
Frankie says that they're staying. You know, he got him into this mess. And, you know, it's better to go down on, on his terms and get shot down like rats. Winston says that, you know, holding up in this place until they come and kill you isn't a plan. It's an unscheduled funeral. So the lady's like, we'll fight. You know, and she's like, we'll stay here. We'll fight. And Frankie says, you know, that he made a mistake coming here. And Winston's like, well, it's too late for that. But, you know, I was like, I can help you. Both of you. He's like, trust me. And Frankie says, well, you know, we're not really big on trust. And Winston says, like, well, you know, tough. So then they're, they're in this other other room. And Frankie tells him that, you know, Cormac's not the same guy that he was when they were kids. You know, he, he's, he's much bigger. It's not just like, you know, breaking fingers type of things. Winston's like, well, you're sounding paranoid. He's like, oh, do I? And he's like, yeah, a little bit. So, then, so outside, three cars pull up. And then they see, like, the Mustangs, you know, that's covered up there. Frankie says that, you know, a group called the Nile has promised them a way out. He's like, I stole this for them. And he's like, they were going to give us some money enough to start over, enough so that Cormac could, couldn't find us. But then they fudged me. So he takes the case out. It might have been, like, in this booby-trapped hole or whatever. He tells Winston it's an ancient coin press. And Winston's like, Cormac wants you dead over this thing? And Frankie's like... Now Cormac's one thing, but the people he works for, the people he fears after what I did to him. And then like outside, they're like loading up a friggin' bazooka. And he's, so he's like, Winston, they control everything. They have eyes and ears everywhere. They make people disappear. So Winston says, he's like, well, I have a lot of money. He's like, I can buy, you know, your way out of this. You can go anywhere you want, be anyone you want. And Frank's like, that's not going to work, Winston. And then boom. And so Yen's like, he's like, we have to fight. I want to, you know, whatever. She really wants to fight. And Frankie, you know, wants to get out of there or something like that. She's arguing with him. She goes in this other room and like locks the door. And Frankie says, you know, that, or because she's like, you know, this is, this is our home. And he's like, our home can be anywhere. And she's like, well, we're going to start a family. So I think it's like six guys enter the building. They go in the, you know, bust open the door. It's clear. And then down the street or out, out in the street, they uncovered a car. They're like, it's it's not the it's the wrong car. So they, they tricked them. They're in the wrong building. So close by, uh, we see Yen's in the back seat. She has like a plant with her. Winston and Frankie are like rolling the cars in neutral. Then they drive away to you know go over the bridge or whatever. Winston says that they're going to Charlie, and Frank's like, oh, Captain Reliable. You know, he was supposed to take care of us when we were kids. So Yen is like, where are we going? And you know, she keeps like kicking Frankie's like seat from the back. And Winston's like, you sure know how to pick him. He's like, that's my wife you're talking about. So, you know, Winston didn't even know this. Then he asked if Cormac dragged him back here, you know, why didn't he leave when he had the chance? And Winston's like, you're my brother, Frankie. You're all I have left. So they arrive at Charlie's, and he's playing cards with a couple dudes. And, you know, he's, so he, I think he's like happy to see his cards. And he tells Frankie, he's like, oh, it's good to see you. Then um, Frankie tells Yen that Winston is their only shot. And says that, you know, he saved them, you know, from the other people. So he says that, you know, it's his fault that they're in trouble. So then she's, she like starts leaving because she's going to make sure that his brother didn't bring more people to kill them. So at the Continental, Jerome talks to Cormac, says that, you know, they slipped past her men. Cormac tells, you know, he's like, maybe it's time we outsource. He's like, get me to weirdos. And Jerome's like, so? He's like, oh, you're right. They're all weird. He's like, the twins. Get me those twins. Hansel, Gretel, whatever the fudge they're called. So Sharon goes, knocks in the hotel room. This guy has kind of like an emo Phillips hairstyle. He answers. You see his sister. She's like in like brawn panties or something like that. She's like stretching, cracking her like her knuckles. You know, she got some blood on her and everything. So it must be like in the middle of a job there. So Sharon asks 
which I don't know, could you do that? Or I don't know what's going on. Or maybe they just finished. So Mr. Sharon says that Mr. Cormac was wondering if they had room in her busy schedules for him or something like that. Then we see KD, she's you know, showering. She hears a thud. She grabs her gun. She goes out in the living room. And then she on her table, there's like a, a police file with a post that says, sorry, Mayhew. So she opens it and it's about Frankie, you know, missing in action during the war, all this stuff like that. And it's weird because it almost seemed like, at first I thought it's like, do you know him? But then, you know, they, they mentioned, or she, she mentioned Francis Scott, that, you know, that he must be the supplier or something like that. So there's like all these, these files, like all his records, I guess, going back. So then we see uh, Frankie Winston. They talk about Charlie and Cormac, you know, about losing the family home, taking a loan from Cormac. And then Winston asks Frankie, he's like, well, why'd you go back and work for him, for, for Cormac? And Frankie's like, because I had a plan, Winston. And Winston's like, so did dad. And then Frankie's like, don't you ever compare me to him again. You hear me? And Winston, like, you didn't tell Yen about me? And he's like, no. He's like, so I come to New York to help my brother. And he even tells his wife that I exist. And Frankie's like, you didn't come to New York on your own. And Winston's like, but I stayed and I found you. Unlike you, you wouldn't let me visit you when you were locked up. You didn't come for me when you got out. It's like, I get it. You took the fall for me. It'd be easy for you to resent me for that. And Frankie's like, oh, is that what you think? That I just resented you? And Winston's like, yes. He's like, we were kids, Frankie. You know, we had no parents, no one. And why would you just cut me out like that? And Frankie's like, for you, so that you could escape this life, so that you could lead a better one, which is exactly what you did, Winston. I mean, look at you with your fudging suit and your shiny watch. He's like, this is all appearances. He's like, I needed a big brother. He's like, and that was me being a big brother. Don't you fudging get that? I kept you alive by keeping you out of this poop. And here you are just seeking it out anyways. And he's like, you know, Winston, sometimes you have to make choices that you don't want to to protect the people you care about. He's like, maybe you'll get that. And maybe you'll get to understand that one day. So then we see some dude on a payphone says like, yeah, it's Frankie and his brother. They're both here. He's like, you know, what do you want me to do? And, you know, then he gets his gun ready. So he's betraying. He's one of Charlie's friends. So Frankie and Winston, they're sitting in a Mustang. Winston's talking about getting him and Yen out. And you can see like in the back, because it's like night, it's like smoky, whatever, you know, the mood's going. The dude's like sneaking up on them. He's like, you know, from, from behind them. So he's about to, I don't know if he's going to shoot Frankie, because he's like, don't, don't you need to find out where the, the, the coin thing is? So he's at the driver's side window when he gets like cut or something like that. Yen's there. She pops out, slams him on the dude on the hood, stabs him in the chest. Like blood goes, goes like splattering on a windshield. Then she tells Frankie that Charlie's friend betrayed them. And so Charlie looks back and he sees like a few sets of headlights coming from behind him. So then they're driving. Then that it just, I, this part kind of bothered me. It's like the editing of the scene was like weird because it just kind of, kind of like skips some stuff. Cause then there's a gunfire and then, uh, Yen is is sticking uh, her rifle out of the back of the, the windshield. It's like when did that? When did the windshield? Did she shoot it? Did they shoot it? Because she's like like shooting everything, and it would like fade to black and everything. So I don't know if it's like kind of like jumping, you know, skipping some stuff. Maybe it's to uh, make the scenes a little easier to work. You know, you don't have to show everything, so you can kind of cut or go forward a few seconds or whatever. I don't know. So she's she's out shooting. And then, you know, she uh, said, we need to get off this road, you know, uh, and stuff like that. Like Frankie cuts the wheels at one point and she, 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 you know, as the car is like turning, she shoots the guys in this one car, you know, they both, all the two guys in there get shot. So then, uh, they're, they're, one of their, their tires and the Mustang gets shot 
they're, they're closer to the city now. They hit like a pile of garbage inside a road. They kind of go up. The car goes sideways, lands on its side, falls on the ceiling. And it's like, no, this is the Mustang. This is John Wick's Mustang. You can't do this. So it's on the roof. And again, the, you know, the scene cuts is like cuts to black. And then the action was like, what, what is going on here? So other cars approach. Dudes get out. And what do they do? They start shooting the car. No, don't shoot the car. Don't put bullet holes in John Wick's car. If this is John Wick's. I'm pretty, like, I thought it was. I don't know. And uh, so, but guess what? So they start shooting. And uh, of course, they, they, they already got out. So again, I don't know if that one fade to black is them getting out or whatever. So then they've entered this building. They're going up the stairs. The, the dudes, somehow they know that they went up, they went into that particular building. I mean, maybe it's the only one that's, I don't know, if the door was open or what. So, and guess what? <laughs> the building is pretty run down. <laughs> so there's like some stairs. They see their shadows because, you know, they're, they're like carrying, I don't know who they're carrying. I don't remember. And um, then they start shooting up the stairs. Yen kind of separates, goes this other way. So, so then two dudes come behind Winston, who's like holding his jack out, jacket, you know, he's holding his, like he's, he's got the case there. And the guy's like, you know, give us the coin press. So he slowly starts to turn and he doesn't have anything in his jacket. He's like, look behind you. Frankie throws a case and hits one of the dudes. And so this is like a big metal, you know, case, like a big metal box. So, and then as they start fighting, the twins have arrived and they calmly go to the elevator and I don't know if they're in a different building, maybe. Winston um, tries taking his gun out. It gets knocked out of his hand. It seems like that happens a lot. He gets. He ends up getting knocked out. It's like, dude, you're not helping. You need those karate lessons. So Yen's like on this floor. She's like checking all the doors. Everything's locked. She One door's open, so she goes in there. And she's like hiding in there. And she sees there's a baby in like a bassinet. And the mom must, is either passed or drugged out on, on the sofa. The TV's on. Dude um, comes like checking all the doors and everything like that. He sees there's blood on the doorknob because she's she must be bleeding from the, the car accident. So they go in there. They're fighting. She she puts up a really good fight. I mean, it's not it's not a hundred percent choreographed. You know, it, again, it's not John Wick style, but she's she's doing a pretty good good job. But this dude is somehow a tank. Because she's doing it. She like hits him in the head with a bottle. Nothing doesn't even phase him. And she's, you know, doing how she does one of those, you know, ankles around the head, like flip or whatever, and hitting him and stuff like that. And it's, it's, at one point, she grabs an iron and she like hits him with it. Doesn't do anything. Somehow she sticks his arm in the garbage disposal, turns it on. That, that kind of did it. And then she, she takes the iron, boom, like stabs him with, with the, the, the pointy part of the, of the iron. <laughs> so it's like, okay, this guy's out. Winston finally gets up, grabs his gun, and then, you know, I think that Frankie was like headbutting the other guy, you know, knocks him out, and then Winston's like, Frankie, because there's another guy behind him with has a machine gun pointed at him. And a dude says to Winston, he's like, what are you going to do with that little gun? So then he goes to shoot, um, shoot Winston, but then Frankie kind of steps in front, takes the shot, like in the shoulder. And then it doesn't like super, like doesn't really face him so much. He just walks over to the other guy. Oh, because when he does that, Winston shot, shot the other dude. So then Frankie takes the gun from Winston, shoots that dude, shoots the other dude. They make it up to the roof, uh, all three of them. There's a dude in a helicopter. Because at first I was like, who's this helicopter dude? So I guess Charlie must arrange it. Because Winston's like, where's Charlie? And the dude's like, I thought he was with you. And then Yen gets a uh, shot by 
one of the the twins. So I think they're like on top of this other building. They have like, you know, sniper rifles, whatever. Then uh, the pilot gets shot and he's okay. He's like, oh, I'm hit. He starts to lift, lift off. They start going up. They shoot the helicopter and I'm like, did they shoot the gas tank? But apparently maybe not because you didn't see anything spring out. Then, um, you know, I think Frankie told like Winston to like, put, keep the pressure on or whatever because, you know, Yen is like shot. Then he's in Vietnamese. He says something like, he's like I love you or I'll always love you or something like that. And then, then he tells Winston, he's like, you two need to look after each other. And Winston's like, what are you saying? And Frankie's like, they want me and this. Jumps out of the helicopter onto the roof. You know, they weren't that high up. And then Yen's like staring in disbelief. And Frank puts a case down. He's just like standing there. The twin, the the, the, the girl, lines up her, her scope, shoots him in the forehead. He falls back. And Winston and Yen, they're just like, you know, in the helicopter, just like staring in shock. So then cuts to Cormac's office. He has some dude picking the lock. You know, he got the case back. He unlocks it, turns around, you know, Cormac opens it. There's like a statue inside of like a rat or something like that flipping him off. And Cormac's like, Rah! like punches the, the, the desk. Winston and Yen arrive at the dojo. Miles opens it. He's like, whoa. He's like surprised to see them. And then Winston, sounding like John Wick, I need guns. Lots of guns. And that's the end of the first episode. So it's just like, holy crap. <laughs> uh, so like I said, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good show. Um, like yeah, I never do ratings on, on, on the, the podcast or whatever. I would say if I'm doing like a 10 point scale, you know, or I would, I would say maybe it's like a seven or eight out of 10 or you know, maybe like a 3.5. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's some good moments, you know, 3.5 out, out of, out of five, if we want to do the, the five point scale. It's it's good. There's like you know some parts that kind of almost fall a little flat. It's it's definitely getting its momentum, and I think I think there's enough potential here. You know, there's only three episodes. You know, a lot happens here. It's an hour and a half. So I think that now that you know the groundwork's been laid out, it's it's going to pick up. And the the thing that again to keep in mind, if you watch this and you're like, oh, what's going on? It is not John Wick. Winston is not John Wick. You know, we've seen that countless times. He is not like the fighting machine like that that John is. So that is kind of good in a way because that way it kind of gives him a little little leeway, and it doesn't have to be like as crazy intense as the John Wick movies. So, so I I, I think they did a good job. So you know, it's on Peacock, so you can watch it. First two episodes are out. It's only three episodes. We'll talk about episode two next week. With Ahsoka, Season 1, Episode 7, Dreams and Madness. Dreams and Madness. So, so here's the thing. <laughs> I, I, I never really think about the titles until I'm, I'm talking about it right now. Because when you, at least on when they come out on Tuesdays, when you go to Disney+, Plus, it just it doesn't have the title. When you click it, it just says, you know, Chapter 7. But when you watch it then you know during the episode they put the title up there then it's like oh dreams and madness so i don't really think about it so much because i'm in the middle of watching it you know you're, you start getting into the act anyways so dreams and madness i haven't really thought about what that has to do with with this it doesn't seem like it fits usually what happens is like after i go through all this you know we were thinking about a process and i'm like oh yeah that's what that meant starts off on coruscant there's a hearing for Hera. oh my gosh this was they did a good job with this because it was so annoying. 
So she's told that Senator Giono dude, he is such, such a dick. And I'm, he's supposed to be. We're not supposed to like him, obviously. So he, he's like, we simply can't allow a general to go around acting like this is still a rebellion. Because <laughs> he's like, this is a government and it has rules and laws, which General Sindula seems to have no problem bending to fit her personal agenda. I don't know why he thinks that this is a personal agenda. I mean, because he, he's, he's determined that she's trying to find Ezra. But the thing is, what I'm not fully clear on is, you know, how long, is it, how many years has it been? It's been, you know, a few years, obviously. And, but he's, he's like so dead set against the idea, the possibility that Thrawn could be a threat, that he, he thinks this is all about, all of this stuff is just to find, try to find, find Ezra. So, so she's like, my job is to protect the people of this republic, and that is exactly what I was doing in the best way I know how. And he's like, I see, and you protected a new republic by ignoring direct orders? And she's like, <laughs> she's like, no, I protected the New Republic by ignoring you. And I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> there's like murmuring. There's not a lot of people in this hearing, in the, in the audience, whatever, but there's people talking. So Mon Matha, she doesn't really say anything. I mean, she's being very neutral between this, but I don't know if there's like maybe the tiniest hint of a smile. So she's like, Senator Giono, can we at least agree that General Sindula's action brought to light that there was an incident on Sito? So here's the thing. He thinks there's no agenda or anything like that. What about the, the, the crap that went down at the, the, the what, whatchamacallit, at the industrial you know, place where there was people working there that were loyal to the empire, which they're, they're fine with that. It's like, oh, at every level, there's going to be people still loyal to the government. That's just how it is. We're okay with that. Because it's just a couple here or there. Even though they tried to kill, they tried to shoot Hera, and they tried to shoot Ahsoka. And then, not only was there a you know, couple loyal Empire loyalists or whatever, there was a Sith, and there are actually two Sith. There's Sith and an Inquisitor, and the assassin droids there. The, the fact that this factory made this huge hyperdrive thing, but but there's there's it's all a personal agenda. It's like you are such an idiot, dude. So he he Carson walks in at that point and he kind of like shakes his head to Hera. But the Senator Giono, he's like an incident, yes. But this report reads like a child's fairy tale. Jedi, false Jedi, star maps, star whales, distant galaxies. Honestly, are we to believe any of it? And so it's like. She already made it clear because she asked him, she's like, did you serve in a war? And he's like, no. He has no idea like what, what is what. You know, he, he doesn't, this, uh, all, of course this is, could be true. So Harris like, Morgan Elspeth was leading a coordinated effort by the Imperial Remnant. And he's like, objection. <laughs> it's like, objection, what objection, what? <laughs> He's like, Imperial Remnant? Such a sensational term. There is no proof of any coordination between the scattered and dwindling number of Imperial forces. I think, I, I feel like this guy is, is an Imperial loyalist that he's so, so hard trying to, like, put a damper in all this. Carson stands up. He's like, what about the conflict on Mandalore? 
And then the dude's like, exactly my point. Gideon was a warlord acting on his own. There's no proof of a greater conspiracy and thus no immediate threat to the Republic. And she's like, if Thrawn returns, that will change quickly. And he scoffs, if. And she's like, I don't know what frightens me more, the possibility of what might happen or your unwillingness to see it. I'll tell you what I see. I see a general who abuses her authority for personal gain, and I will not stand for it. I motion that General Sindula be court-martialed for disobeying a direct order. So then there's like commotion at the door. But I'd be like, all right, screw you, buddy. I have done so much for the New Republic. I have done so much or so much for the rebellion. I have so much insight. I've done, I have this, this amazing track record. You know, if you look at all the stuff that she, you know, there's, there, how many episodes of Star Wars Rebels are, you know, she's done so much. And I'd be like, okay, where's my general patch? I don't know how it works. Oh, here, take it, choke on it. I'm going to go off and do, you know, screw you. You want want help protect this new republic? Do it without me. Again, what what are you gonna do, stupid senator? <laughs> so, so there's like a commotion at 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 the door or whatever, and and you hear a guard's like he's he's asking a droid for ID identification. I don't need to show IMC. Then Mon Mont is like three PO. Welcome. She's like, why are you here? He's like, honored chancellor. And this is my horrible C three PO. It's not even an attempt. With respect, I am here on behalf of Senator Leia Organa. May I speak? And she's like, by all means. Thank you. And he scoots up next next to her. The Honorable Senator Organa has become aware of an unfortunate situation and wishes to present this data transcript, which she hopes may resolve the matter. And then the crybaby senator is like, I object in the strongest terms. And 3PO just looks at him and is like, WTF, dude? And I was like, I'm talking here. He's like, as I was about to say, the transcript shows that Senator Organa personally sanctioned General Sindula's reconnaissance mission to Sitos, being regrettably unaware that Senator Giono had held a vote against such a mission without her. And he's like, this is preposterous. The court cannot admit evidence of this kind from a mere droid. Okay, he's calling 3PO a mere droid. 3PO has done so much for the new, for the rebellion, so much more than what, what has this senator done? Oh, I'm going to pass a law that you citizens have to brush your teeth before they leave the house. I was like, what is, what is he doing? And now, so when he says Mary Joy, Chopper's like, starts chattering angrily and Carson's like, the next time he's like, tries calling him. And then 3PO's like, yes, well, Senator Organa is willing to overlook this misstep but ask that you address any further concerns to her directly in her role as leader of the Defense Council. <laughs> and this, that, that shuts Giono up. And then Mon Month is like, well, that seems to settle the matter. Unless you remain unsatisfied, Senator Giono? He's like, no, Madam Chancellor. But she's like, court dismissed. And then 3PO's like, scoffs, like, mere droid. So Hera thanks him. Then, you know, people are, are filing out. You know, again, there's not that many. But Mon Moth has asked Hera. She's like, may I have a word? And, then, you know, they're kind of alone. She whispers. She's like, I don't know what you and Leia are playing at, but I know she did not authorize your mission. And Hera's like, she did. Eventually. And Mon Moth is like, put your personal feelings aside and don't deny you have them. How real is the threat of Thrawn's return? And she's like, we have to prepare for the worst and hope for the best.
So it cuts to the whales going through hyperspace. Seems like these whales, I don't know if they're going slower than that, that ring ship. Cause that ring ship got there like no problem, like one episode. <laughs> the whales, they've been going forever. Ahsoka is doing some like lightsaber training uh, in, in her ship. There's a hole of, of Anakin. He's like, in this war, you will face more than just droids. General Grievous, Asajj Ventress, even Count Dooku. You could face any one of them on the battlefield. As your master, it's my responsibility to prepare you. So practice these forms often, or at least more than I do. I won't always be there to look out for you. If we get separated or something happens, you need to be able to make it on your own. Don't be afraid. Just remember what I taught you and trust your instincts. I know you can do this, Ahsoka. And she like stands upright and she gives like a head bow. Hoang had Hoang had, had walked in like during this and he was like watching. And then she's like, he made 20 or more of these recordings. This was his last one. And Hoang's like, very thoughtful. I never realized. And she's like, he was a good master. And she's like, did you need something? I think the whales may be reaching the end of their journey. And she's like, what makes you think that? According to my instruments, their speed is decreasing. So then they go in the cockpit and she's like, okay, once we drop out of hyperspace, we find Sabine. And Huang's like, and how do you propose we do that? If we indeed travel to another galaxy, our star charts will be useless. Also, because like, you know, she came here with the enemy. So we find the enemy, we find Sabine. You are assuming the star whales have brought us to the correct galaxy, let alone the same system or even the same planet where Lady Ren was taken. And she's like, I think the odds are pretty good. No, no. In fact, they're terrible. Astro astronomically terrible. And she's like, well, you should have said something. I did. You never. And she kind of laughs. He's like, the worst part is, I hope you're right. Then there's kind of like a rumble going on. He's like, this is it. We are exiting hyperspace now. So Huang runs a scan to see if they can see where, where they're at. And he says he's picking up a lot of interference. He's, so she's like, something's wrong. Then there's like some like, it's like this place is kind of shaking. And then the, the teeth of the whale, because they're like in the whale's mouth, kind of opens a little bit. I am detecting multiple objects in our path. And then they, they exit and there's like several explosions all around. It's an imperial minefield around the planet at the point of arrival. Head towards the planet. The field eventually terminates. At least the whales are providing some cover. So Ahsoka looks out when the window and then sees that the whales, there's like starting to exit, you know, go up or go back into hyperspace. And she's like, you had to say something. I was being optimistic. So they, they start going. They finally get clear of the mines. And then Huang's like, well, we found the enemy. So then they see like the ring ship as they pass like nine fighter ships, like start following them. And she's like, I'm going to make it make for the, the debris field. And Huang's like, I would not recommend that. Thrawn gets a report. So as he anticipated, the minefield was triggered by a pod of arriving star whales because Thrawn is so smart. He was able to predict this because he's so awesome. So give me a break. I did like the episode. I do like the show. And then, so he finds out, you know, among them was a T6 Jedi shuttle. <laughs> and in here again, because he's Mr. Smarty Pants, it would seem Ahsoka Tano is alive and well after all. Because he's so smart, he predicted that she wasn't dead. 
Then Elizabeth hands him a tablet with everything that the inquestral database had on her. And he's like, her master was General Anakin Skywalker? And she's like, yes. And then to Enoch, he's like, you're certain there's only one starship? And the, the, there's a whole, it's whole, so Enoch, that's, he's like the gold-faced plated death trooper or shadow trooper or whatever, but he's there like in a hologram. Because I think he's, I think he's still, I don't know if he's on, maybe, he's probably on a Star Destroyer. I don't think he's on a ring ship. Are they in a ring ship? They're on a planet. I don't know. But he's, he's like, correct, Grand Admiral. Our fighters have engaged the target and pursued them in, in the, to the debris field. He's like, excellent. That will be all. And then he's like, withdraw the fighters and have them stand by. And Morgan's like, why not allow them to follow? He's like, there's no need to waste our resources. And she's like, with due respect, Grand Admiral, without pursuit, we shall lose them in a debris field. And he's like, you're quite right, but I'm Mr. Smarty Pants. So, of course, Jedi are very good at hiding. They've been practicing that for years. However, we are getting to know our adversary. And she, if she's anything like her master... She will be unpredictable and quite dangerous, which is why we must control all the variables. Put her on a path of our own choosing so that no matter which direction she takes, we'll always be one step ahead of her. <laughs> Huang notes that their, the pursuers have stopped and he's like, I can see why. You know, they're not, they're, they're going to get pulverized if they continue much longer because they're going through the debris. There's like all this like just bones and rocks and stuff that's like hitting the ship. They kind of land on this like big, big chunk of something and then like power down. So Huang's like, he, he says, he's like, I do, I do not like this. And he's like, how did they anticipate our arrival? And she's like, Thrawn is behind that attack. And of, because of course he's a big smarty pants. Then the enemy has already found him. So, you know, then she's like, it would seem so. So Huang's like, I will run a scan to see if I can locate Lady Ren on the planet so that the town that Ezra, the, 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 the Nati that he's been hanging out with, they're moving. They're, they're, so their they're structure things can kind of turn into hover cars. So they're just like cruising along with all their belongings. Ezra tells Sabine that he never thought about how much he missed, you know, about everything that he missed. He's still trying to process everything she's told him. He's like, the Empire was defeated? And she's like, Battle of Endor. The Emperor died? That's what people say. He's like, okay, there's a new Republic. Zeb's training recruits and Hera's commanding a fleet. He's like, I missed everything. And she's like, it's, it's been a while. You know, I was beginning to think we'd never find you. And he's like, how did you? You never said. And she's like, it's complicated. He's like, he said, he said something. He's like, well, okay, we can talk about something else, I guess. And she's like, Ahsoka took me on as her apprentice. And he's like, she what? Why? And she kind of glares at him because it's kind of a, he's kind of like an insult. <laughs> and then he's like, I, I mean, congratulations. And she just laughs. And she's like, okay, go on. He's like, no, 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 that's great. You know, it makes sense, of course. You trained a little before, you know, back when I was first learning. And he's like, so where is Ahsoka? Is she coming? And she like sighs deeply because you know she thinks she's dead. And she's he's like. It's complicated. And she's like, yeah. Then we see Balan, um, Shin, and the bandits. They're like riding together. So somehow they've convinced them to, to join forces. The, the great mothers, the three witch mothers, whatever, they come in and Thrawn says, he's like, I'm in need of your assistance. And he mentions Ahsoka Tano lies hidden in the graveyards. He's like, find her. Yes, Grand Admiral. 
Then they released, so they're like overlooking a star map. They released their orbs and it makes a triangle around, around the, the map. On, on uh, Ahsoka's ship, Huang says that he cannot locate Lady Ren. Either his scans are being jammed or there's too much debris. He's like, should I try again? And she's like, no, we don't need a scan. She's like, there's another way. And he's like, do you think your bond is that strong? And she just kind of closes her eyes and, and sits back and it kind of like echoey. She's like, Sabine? On the planet, Ezra tells Sabine, he's like, well, you know, it hasn't been all bad. You know, obviously he made some friends, you know, the, the Nati, the Noti, Nati, whatever. They've been great. They took him in when he needed help. They, you know, he, they set him up with the, that pod and everything. Then she's kind of like starts staring off and she's like, Ahsoka? And Ezra's like, are you all right? Because, you know, she's just like dazing out all of a sudden. And then Ahsoka opens her eyes and she's like, I see her. So then the great mothers uh, with uh, Thrawn's like, the Jedi is there. And so they've somehow, I, I think maybe they pinpointed her location. I don't know. So Thrawn calls Enoch and gives co coordinates. He's like, open fire. <laughs> Which that sounded more like the Emperor, but whatever. Ezra, he's, he's like, something happened. And Sabine's, she's like, I, I, I don't know. It, it was a feeling. He's like, what kind? And she's like, familiar. So then there's an uh, explosion near the ship. Huang exclaims, he's like, they found us. And she's like, don't worry. It's like, I know where we're going. He's like, wonderful. So on our way. So the more flying through the debris is the giant rings firing upon them. Enoch asks Thrawn, through, you know, he's still in hologram. He's like, should we prepare the defenses? And Thrawn's like, no. He's like, they're not the focus of the Jedi's attention. Tana will pursue Sabine Wren, whom we have wisely sent far from here. Contact the fighter group and have them re-engage the opponent. Then the, the Nati see something up ahead. There's Baylan and Shin, and Ezra's like, friends of yours? And she's like, no. Baylan tells Shin to contact Thrawn, you know, he, and he's like, kill Sabine Wren and Ezra Bridger and take your place in the coming empire. And she's like, you won't help? Your ambition drives you in one direction. My path lies in another. So she calls and she sends the coordinates. And, and then he's like, one parting lesson, Shin. Impatience for victory will guarantee defeat. So then she rides off. There's like a, a like maybe a dozen bandits to start like riding with her towards uh, the Nati. Enoch tells Thrawn that they've pinpointed Bridger's position. And he says to dispatch two gunships to assist the mercenaries. And then to Morgan, he's like, if Lord Balan proves capable, we may yet win the day. So the bandits approach. Sabine starts shooting. Ezra, so they're, they're still like driving in their pods. Ezra yells something to a, a Nati. And one like shoots a slingshot. And then it just like, bink, bounces off the bandit's armor. Ezra tells Sabine, you know, that they're peaceful people. And she's like, peaceful? Fine. You didn't mention defenseless. And he's like, well, they've survived well enough. One pod... You know, this chase goes on and all this stuff going on. But they have, like, these little electric, like, cattle prod poles or whatever. And they keep, jam, you know, trying to jam it and stuff like that. So one of them manages to, uh, like, dis disable, like, one, one of the, the ships. Ezra's like, we can't leave them. He's like, circle up. So they have to go back. Ahsoka's flying towards the planet. And, you know, they're still being fired upon. Then she, you know, sees them, like, circling up down below so she can see where they're at. Ezra and Sabine see Shin and the bandit leader, I'm assuming. Uh, Sabine says that she's like him, but with less sense of humor. Ahsoka tells Huang that she needs to get down there. And Huang's like, well, we can't land while they're being attacked. I don't know why not. <laughs> and she's like, we don't have to land. And he's like, not this again. And she's like, yes, this again. 
So she says that when she hits the ground, you know, she, you know, to draw her fire away. So she goes to the cockpit thing, you know, at the hatch, not the cockpit, the hatch, and she like jumps out. She kind of slides a little way. It's just pretty smooth landing or anything like that. But she lands kind of like right by Bayland, and he's like, "Well, now this is a surprise. I didn't expect to see you again." And she's like, "Disappointed? No. However, I cannot allow you to interfere." And she's like, "I don't have time for this." He's like, "That I know." ignites his lightsaber she ignites both of hers and then but like they just barely start fighting and it cuts the bandits they're like you know going around to put the pods Ezra asks Sabine he's like what's the plan and she's like here do your thing and she like holds out his lightsaber he's like what thing she's like it's your lightsaber take it he's like you take it and she's like what he's like I don't need it besides you've been training and she's like very funny he's like no I'm serious and she's like take it and he's like, I gave it to you. It's yours now. Then she's like, at least take a blaster. And he's like, no. He's like, the force is my ally. That's all I need. And she's like, well, I'm going to need more than that. The bandits start attacking. And he does some like, like force shoves. He's using like hand-to-hand or whatever. And Sabine's like fighting with her blasters. So, you know, she's going out trying to shoot them. Ahsoka and, and Bailan, they're fighting. Ezra shoves a, a bandit pretty hard against a pod. And then Shin comes up behind him and like swings her lightsaber at, at his head. He barely ducks, singes some of his hair. And he's like close. Then, then she swings and he like dodges. And Sabine's like fighting a bandit and finally takes out her like lightsaber, the lightsaber and stabs this bandit dude. Ezra's like using the force to like hold back Shin's lightsaber. And then Sabine comes and like strikes. And Ezra says to Shin, it's not looking good for you. Then Shin turns and, and, and sees that the two battleships like with troopers are coming. And then Sabine's like, take her now. So Ezra charges, well, not the best move. And then Shin force shoves him against a pod. So he, he's like knocked out. Sabine starts fighting Shin. Ahsoka and Balin are still fighting. Then he, he, she goes to swing and he like kind of grabs her fist like, you know, with her lightsaber. And is like close to his neck. And he's like, you can't defeat me which I don't know why he's so sure of that. And she's like, perhaps, I don't have to. And then Huang flies overhead, drops a bunch of bombs at him. Balin has to roll out of the way. And then he gets up, ignites his lightsaber. He's, you know, there's all the smoke from you know, the, the explosions and the dirt, whatever. He's like trying to look through. Ahsoka's already gone. She took his howler. She's riding away. And he just, he just stands there kind of looking around. So it's like, what, what, what is your path, your destiny that you, you it's like, what, what's up, dude? Ezra gets up, the night troopers start coming out of their ships, they're heading towards towards the pods and them. Thrawn gives orders. Morgan says that um, you know, that they have them, and he says that their side is short when mercenary. So he's like, where's Balan, you know, Skull, Stole? What's his name? Balan Stole, Skull, whatever. Sabine and Shin continue fighting. Sabine uses her wrist gauntlet to block the like like the, the lightsaber blows because it's Vesper. Vesper. Sabine um, she gets flipped and lands on the ground. Shin's about to strike, but then Ezra pulls Sabine back with the force. And I would think the move would like try force shoving Shin out of the way, but he grabs Sabine. Okay, that that worked. And then she like shoots a blast of flames, whatever. Troopers have arrived. Um, they, they start getting positioned. They're like surrounding them. And then Shin stands and she's like, "Destroy them!" Troopers raised their blasters, and then Ezra raises his hand. He's like, "Wait, wait, wait." He's like, we could talk or we could just, we, he's like, don't, don't you want to take us as prisoner? 
as prisoners or and she's like fire some troopers start going flying ahsoka rides up jumps off the howler shooting starts and then she swings her blade at, at ahsoka and she just dodges it and she like blocks like with, with her wrist and she shoves her her back without even taking out her lightsabers so huang is is still off, you know flying around he's getting chased he sees like the firing down below he's like well they're all back together I hope I survive long enough to see the outcome. Which, okay, is that like foreshadowing? Sabine, she's like fighting some troopers. She swings at them, knocks them down. She gets shot in the back, but the armor's deflecting it, which, you know, she's lucky because she doesn't have her helmet on. She shoots one. Ezra comes out, force shoves some more, and grabs a blaster for, you know, this, there's a trooper. He kind of grabs his arm and shoots a couple more, and then he gets a, the blaster away from the dude and, like, shoots him, force shoves some more, and then Sabine fires a bomb and, like, takes out three troopers. Thrawn is still watching on the little display map or whatever. Uh, you know, he's seeing what the progress was. And he's like, what a rare sight. Almost like the Jedi of old. Then he's like, recall the gunships. Call off the aerial pursuit. And Morgan, like, stares at him like, are you crazy? These are unfortunate but acceptable losses given the absence of Lord Balan. In the grand scheme of things, one might even call this first match with Tano a success. And she's like, I see only our enemies reunited. And he's like, let me show you what I see. He calls up an image of the Star Destroyer. With our enemies distracted, the cargo transfer is now almost complete, which means we shall soon leave this forsaken place. Ahsoka Tano has lost the one thing she could not afford to lose today. Time. Time is very much on our side now. (laughs) She's like Rolling Stones, right? (laughs) And I shall keep it that way. Time is on my side. Yes, it is. A drone thing is like beeping, signals the troopers to fall back. Sabine continues like, she's like, so like trying to chase and shoot them. She's like, oh, you're not leaving. Shin looks around and sees the troopers leaving. And Sabine and Ezra, they've arrived at either side of Ahsoka. And Ahsoka's like, surrender your weapon. And she lifts her hand. She's like, I can help you. Shin like stares at her. And then runs like a little baby. And Sabine and Ezra get ready to follow. But Ahsoka puts her hand, her arms out to like stop him. It's like, wait, why? You're letting... Okay, you're going to let her run off. You're going to regret it later. Someone's probably going to die because you're letting her go. So she hops on her howler. She rides off. And then Sabine, she finally looks and she's like, Ahsoka. And then they look at each other kind of smiling. And, she, and you know, she's like, I thought you were dead. And Ahsoka's like, and miss this reunion? And then she looks at Ezra, gives him a hug or like that. And, and Ahsoka, she actually, actually kind of laughs. And he's like, wait, you thought she was dead? And Sabine's like, clearly I was wrong. Hoang brings the ship down. Anati comes out. Ezra tells it, it's okay. It's like they're friends. And then to Ahsoka and Sabine, he's like, guys, I'm getting a feeling. I think I might be going home after all. But is, is that foreshadowing? Did he just jinx it? Because... Now, now, the interesting thing is, you know, we, we've seen Return of the Jedi. We've seen The Force Awakens. We have a rough idea of what's going on. Where the heck is Luke Skywalker during all this? You know, the fact that Balan and Shin attacked a New Republic ship, sliced everyone up, you know, with their lightsabers. Where's Luke? Uh, oh, he's busy on a planet training kids or doing something. And then, and then, oh wait, Ezra, Thrawn, they might be out there. Eh, whatever, someone might. He he knows Ahsoka's around. 
Excuse me. He's like, yeah, you, you can take care of it. You want to teach at school? No, nah, that's okay. You know, no, actually, never mind. It's like, I'm the only teacher. I, just do whatever you're doing. So we'll see. And then the other thing, you know, it's, it's nice that they mentioned Leia and yeah, they could CG and put her in there, but it's like, I'm, I'm, I mean, part of me is kind of glad that they didn't, you know, they brought in three PO cause I feel like if you're going to use, you know, if, if you're going to use Leia, it's gotta be something important to have her come in at just like a court hearing it might not be enough. I mean, it'd be a surprise. It'd be cool, but I don't know. I mean, we already got young Anakin, younger Anakin, which I, I think is a bit much, but you know, the way it just, it's off a little bit, but at least it looked better in this episode. Like the whole will look better than what we saw before, but it's, it's so now that was uh what episode was it? That was episode seven. So now I think we can say that there's one more, right? Is there eight episodes? So we'll find out what happens next week. Fiona and Cake, Season 1, Episode 9, Casper and Nova, which is a kind of a weird title to focus on that for this, this episode. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, the last two episodes aired, and I only watched the first one for two reasons. One, because I wanted to drag it out for one more week because I really liked the show. And two, for whatever reason, I just I ran out of time and you know, parent conferences and all that. So we're just going to talk about this this episode. And I, as I record this, I still haven't watched that final episode. So I really don't know what the fate of the characters are and everything. I'm really eager to watch it. Like I, I would be watching it right now if I wasn't recording. But I got to do this first. So it starts off, you know, last episode, they went into Simon's head, possibly like what's going on. Fiona is lying in a field. She wakes up and she's a little confused and she sees Mr. Cupcake dancing with uh, Chocoberry along with there's like some flying fairies or something like that. Then Lumpy Space Princess comes and she's eating like a bag of nuts and there's like squirrels following her. And she's like, hey, girl. And then. You know, Fiona recognized she did, Fiona doesn't know Lumpy Space Princess, but she knows she's like Ellis P because, you know, it's the same kind of like voice. And he's like, she's like, look at me. I'm even more beautiful now. And she runs off like squirrels chasing her. Then she's like, wait, where's Cake? Then Cake comes running up. It worked. And then Fiona's like, Simon did it. Let's go to her house. And Cake's like, yeah, then we could throw a party. And then Cake turns into this like sort of horse and Fiona starts riding her back. They go to the city. And then Cake says she wants a snack and, you know, she wants a cake. You know, she wants to eat cake. You know, that's her name. And Fiona's like, let's get one from BB's from the buttery buns shop. So they go there. But it's kind of like covered with like bubblegum on the outside. Inside, Fiona calls out to Gary. She's like, are you here? Then this big pink glob lurches over the counter. She's like, Gary, Fiona, you're back. Try my new pastry. And it's just like this, again, pink globish monster. So they like back away and then they bump into like moving Fiona and Cake, life-size pastries. And the pink glob, you know, Gary yells, it's you. And then, you know, chomps the Fiona pastries. Just like, chomp. So Fiona and Cake panic. They run out. Then they see Marshall in an alley. But he has, like, long, tusk-like vampire teeth. And he's kind of, like, elongated. He looks almost looks like, like a grain of rice-like shape. 
and he steps partially into the sun and it whoosh, bursts into flames. So they run. There's like other chaos and pandemonium on the streets. You know, you see like buildings on fire. There's goopy mess everywhere. Then Fiona sees their apartment building. So they, they go there and then they, they see they see and hear LSP. She's like ripped, like laying on the ground with like spaghetti meatballs inside. And the squirrels are like eating it. And she's like, no, my spaghetti. And then they the squirrels hiss and they, they drag LSP away. And LSP is like, like, wait, I'm too pretty to get eat. <laughs> they go inside. Cake says that they're safe now. Uh, so, you know, she'll put on a video game while Fiona makes margaritas. She's like, I've always wanted to try one of those. So Fiona slowly opens the fridge. There's like blue light shining out. And Simon's like jammed inside, like a kind of twist and everything. And then you hear, are you happy, Fiona? And then his head like turns and he has like sharp teeth. And he's like, all oh, this for you. And she gasps. And then she's lying on the ground. She's back wearing, you know, because she was, oh, I didn't mention she was wearing like her, her blue shirt, which she hasn't worn that in how many episodes. But so now she's back wearing the, like the army jacket that she got from the other uh, Martin, from the other war reality, whatever. So Kate is like trying to wake her up and she's lying like an ice skate rink. Fiona's like, it's, it's, it's normal. And Cakes almost sounds like disappointed, like, yeah, I know. And Fiona's like, I had the worst dream when Simon put on a crown. It all went wrong. Gary became a, a scary gum glop blob, and Marshall Lee was, and then Cake says at the same time, a hideous monster burst into flames. And then <gasps> Fiona's like, did you see? And then they both say, Simon in the freezer. So then, then Fiona's like, what if it was an omen? And then Cake's like, it was just a nightmare. She's like, I can't wait for this dump to change. This couple like are skating by and they look and the lady's like, look at that. It even has lip sync. And Cake's like, can I help you? And dude's like, we didn't notice Rink had a mascot. Because, you know, they, they see, you know, Cake in her cake form and they're like, what's going on? So, so then Cake makes her hand like a giant kind of like cat head ma mascot and kind of like waves it at them a little bit. And like it's like laughing as they, they take off because they're freaked out. Fiona stands up and she's like, oh, my butt is an icicle. So Cake makes herself into like overalls covering Fiona. She tries walking and slipping. And then it's, it's like a kid, like probably a teen or whatever. He has a whistle. He skates up. He's like, hey, I get off the ice. No skates, no entry. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going. And then as she's like stumbling, you know, trying to walk off, Kate like moves her face onto Fiona's butt and then gives a kid like the stink eye and, you know, blows a raspberry. And he's like, <gasps> off the ice, Kate's like, this place is going to be magic soon. It's like, I can feel it. Then Kate points a newspaper vending machine because there's a squirrel on top reading newspaper. It's like magic. But then the squirrel crumples up the newspaper, shoves it in its mouth. False alarm. Then they see Marshall and Gary walking, holding hands while Gary is like tasting Marshall's ice cream cone and Fiona's like surprised and happy to see them. So she runs up to them and they gasp and Marshall's like, cool threads, you've been thrifting? And she's like, what, what, what is this? And she like kneels down, she's like looking, getting you know close up at their interlocked hands. They kind of let go and Gary's like, Fiona, where have you been? You just disappeared. And she's like, okay, this is gonna blow your mind, but our whole world is inside this guy Simon's head and everything we know is about to turn crazy magical. But nothing happens. Any second now. And then Cake stretches out from, you know, Fiona's overall front. And she, like, kind of yells out to the sky, Simon, what's the holdup? Then Gary and Marshall both do, like, like a spit take with their ice cream. Because they're like, what the heck is this? So we see Simon lying on the ground. 
he starts waking up. He sits up. His head still has like some blue sparkles like in the back. And he, he feels his head and the, the portal kind of opens a bit and he gasps. He's like, the crown. It's behind him. So he gets it. Then the sky's like black and, he, and there's like green 3D like Tetris shapes floating. He's like, where am I? He walks to the edge because he's on one too, apparently. So he walks to the edge of this like green, you know, whatever shape. And then he sees there's like another shape down below. And there's like this bony figure leaning over in the ground. It's it's the lich. And, you know, his fingers are, are locked in front of him. And he's muttering, scared of the darkness that lay before your eyes. And Simon's like, you. And he starts to climb down. He's like, hey, lich. And he kicks his leg. And he's like, what did you do to my spell, huh? And he like lifts his, his head. But he's like great embodiment of chaos hear me for ages untold i studied your ways devoting my existence to you i strove to be your vassal in the physical plane to build mountains of bodies in your honor to extinguish all life and in my universe this i achieved but it gave me no satisfaction in succeeding i lost all purpose and simon's like i know what you mean and but lich continues why why must this be and he like grunts and like slams his fist down kind of cracking the ground hear me gold and Simon's like surprised, he's like gold, and it turns out that gold was below them, so it's like the big red, you know, being, and then he like rotates around because it's kind of floating, and his face is like level at them, and Simon's like, Betty, are you in there even a little? Because that's what she like merged with at the end of the first adventure time series. The top eyes, there's like four, you know, four eyes, and the top eyes look like Betty's eyes, and Simon's like. I finally get to you when I'm not even trying. I've I've wanted to see you again for so long. And then the lich is like, no, no, no. And he thrusts his hands out and he like you know, thrusts thrusts his arms out to both sides and the tun his tunic kind of rips off and he just has a, a skeleton body and you know he had like parts he had still had some flesh, but now it's he's it's all gone. And he's like, answer me, what more could I have done? What do you want from me now? And there's like some green fire from his eyes. And then Gold's eyes kind of like shake and growls. The lick gets like levitated, starts floating. And he starts shaking and like yelping in pain. Then his bones separate and they're kind of like enclosed in this green energy ball or whatever. It's kind of like floating, rotating around, moving, you know, about. And then it turns, the whole thing turns into like another Tetris piece. And then all four eyeballs turned to Simon, he gasped. He's like, Betty, I really tried to fix you. I searched for years for a way to undo this, but I failed. Living among the humans in Ooh, I felt completely out of place and, and time. My life has been drained of all meaning. You gave me a second chance and I've wasted it. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Betty. When I first did the ritual, I just wanted to come here and tell you that, but then something else happened. I met two people who really needed my help, Fiona and Cake. You would have liked them. They'll use a second chance better than I ever did. You of all people should understand why I must do this. So he lifts up the crown. I finally have a purpose now. But then he gets like zapped away before the crown can touch his head. And then we see this other like building room or whatever. And you, the closed captions like pup guard is like yelling by the order of Gibbon, find them. And then we see Beth, the pup princess and Shermie. So these are the two characters correct me if I'm wrong, that we saw at the very end of Adventure Time. It's like, wait, who are these two people? That's not Finn and Jake. So they, they walk through this door. Shermie is almost, is like, is Shermie like a rabbit? It's like almost looks, I don't know if it's his hair, if it's his ears. Shermie holds like two cans of, of spray paint 
And on the wall behind him, it was written like power to number two, power to the pubs with a Z. Then the, the guards are like these, you know, dog guards and these like kind of robot suits and they like shoot at them. And so they, they run, they duck into the elevator. Then they reach this balcony and Shermie's like, watch me. And he falls back over the edge. Beth opens like a portal, like in her stomach. And then a portal opens on the ground beneath Shermie. He flies, you know, he goes through the portal on the ground and it comes out the portal on her stomach, flies over like the gap to the wall because they're like in some sort of kingdom thing, you know, whatever Gibbons kingdom. Beth reaches inside the portal, which kind of leads to like a storage closet or something like that. She's feeling around everything and then she finds a ladder. So she starts pulling up this really long ladder. The pup guards are coming and then she puts the ladder down. She leans on the ladder. It, it, it leans over to the wall. It just goes through. You know, and then she climbs up the wall, pulls, you know, knocks the ladder down. And then the guards yell, Vandals, you won't get away with, with this. Gibbon doesn't forgive. So they run outside the kingdom. And we see the entire place is spray painted. Like the, all the buildings outside. It's like Gibbon sucks, S-U-X. Get Gibbon gone, you know, all this stuff. And Beth has like a checklist because they're starting a revolution. And like spread word was step number four. They're walking. Uh, Shermie is on, on Beth's head. And because, you know, Shermie's like really big, if, if you remember. Then um, he like kind of shakes for a bit, like and his ears sort of or whatever fold back to the side, and then he's like, "I finally have a purpose now," which is exactly what Simon said. And his hair, his ears, it kind of looks like Simon's shape. And Beth says that she's like, "You just sounded real funny." But then Shermie like wakes up and he, and she's like, "Well, you're, if your legs aren't broken, you can walk." But so his 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 ears, whatever, still in the shape of Simon's hair. And he walks to a puddle and he sees Simon's reflection in gas. He's like, what just happened? And he looks at like around you know, the, the scenery, the trees and the field, whatever. He's like, I'm in another weird version of ooh. And he's like, bread balls. <laughs> Something like that. And Beth is like, language. And Shermie's Simon says, Betty, why did you send me here? And in this body? Why? 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 And Beth's like, Shermie, are you going through puberty? So Shermie slash Simon's like, this is going to sound far-fetched, but I'm not sure me. My name is Simon Petrikov. I'm from another world far different than your own. And Beth's like, okay, Simon, you're not getting out of going to the library by acting weird. And Simon Shermie's like, library? That's great. Actually, I could really use a library right now. Beth's like, are you making fun of me? No, no, no. I love the library. Okay. I like this new you. And Shermie Simon's like, Fiona and Cake are still waiting for their magic world. I'll find myself another crown. And like shakes his fist. You can zap me to whatever alternate universe you want, but I have free will. Do you hear me, Betty? Do you? And then we see Simon is still standing in the same spot, like his, or at least his body. He still has a crown over his head. And you hear like, do you hear me, Betty? You know, he continues. So as Simon says this, we see Scarab's kind of like crumpled body on this other green piece and like the crystal device thing that he has is lying next to him. He slowly opens his eyes, strains out his like broken limbs. Like, like they kind of snap into place. And he's kind of surprised because he's missing an arm. And he's like, Ooh! and he like gasps. He looks around, uh, you know, he picks up the crystal thing. He sees his arms like up on this other floating piece. So he easily leaps up there, take grabs the arm, clicks it back into place. And then Golb's eyes like turn and look at him. And Scary gives a little scream. <laughs> which is kind of funny when he sees the eyes. Then he sees Simon standing with the crown and he says, he's like, I or Simon's like, I keep stepping on my tail, which, which is Shormi's tail. And he's like, Ugh, this will take some getting used to. Then 
uh, Scarab points at Gold. Stay out of this. He leaps down and like hovers his hand over like the back of Simon's head. He's like, oh, sparkly. And he's like, what's the matter, Simon? Spell malfunction? And he kind of like gets in his face. I'm a professional and professionals don't hold grudges. But it's like, that's absolutely what he's doing. And then this sort of like blade pops out of his crystal things and he's going to get ready to like swing it. But then all four gold eyes like angrily look at him. And then there's like this big like zap of light. And then it, it, it turns into like these three, these three red, like red bugs fall in front of Simon. So the scarab got turned into like cockroaches or bugs or something like that. One gets like the crystal impaled in his back when it fell and it like, screeches. All three start crawling over Simon. You know, Simon's body is still frozen there holding the, the crown. They start crawling on Simon, and then Gold growls, and the bugs get zapped. But now there's, like, six of them, and, and they're, like, a little bit smaller, so, like, half the size. They get up. They crawl over Simon again. Zap! And then they double again, and they're smaller. So Gold's not happy, and then the bug with the crystal thing's, like, scared, runs up Simon's back, makes it into the portal in the back of his head. At the ice skating or by the ice skating ring, Gary's like, "So you're not a robot, you're a magic cat." And Cake's like, "Yes, I always was. I'm just back to my original form, and pretty soon you will be too." And Gary's like, or Marshall's like, "But if everything's going to change, will we still be together?" And Fiona's like, "Uh, maybe. In the world we came from, Gary was a, a candy prince, and you were a cool vampire. Sick." And Gary's like, "Vampire." And Cake's like, well, we did see a world where a version of y'all tried to kill each other, so there's that option. And Fiona makes like a, you know, at her neck, she's like, no, no, like, you know, stop, like, cut it out. And Gary and Marshall, like, you know, they just, like, both look shocked. Cake says, you know, Fiona got into a big fight in that place. But hey, hey, you know, don't worry, we smoothed it over. And Fiona's like, honestly, I don't know if you'll even remember each other or if anyone will remember this version of our world. Gary's like, but I don't want to forget everything. Marshall and I just met. And Marshall's like, yeah. And then the cake is like, Fiona's like, oh, I told you it shouldn't be up to us to decide. And Cake's just like, Marshall's like, maybe we can make requests that Simon guy's thoughts affect our world, right? And Gary's like, yeah, like if Simon knows Marshall and I are supposed to be together, it could work out and I'd still date you if you were a vampire. And Fiona's like, it's worth a shot. Simon can do anything. You just got to find that portal. BRB. So Fiona and Cake go looking for blue sparkles. Cake sees some at the this ice cream or ice machine next to the village market, like outside the, you know, the, the around the corner. They run up and Fiona opens the door. Can you hear me, Simon? But then three bugs come crawling out at Fiona and she throws them down. She's like, big damn bugs. Cake like smooshes one with like a big giant foot. And the the big round smoosh kind of looks like Scarab's face. And then it pops back up in, into, you know, regular, you know, from being flattened, and it laughs. Cake grabs it, sticks it back in the icebox. A second walks towards Cake and, and, and Fiona, and she puts her foot on it. Cake knocks the third one back, like, and Fiona's like, leave us alone. Gary and Marshall, like, walk up in shock, and Marshall puts his foot down on the third one, you know, they, they got back up. So is this a uh, part of the fun magic? Inside the market, a scarab bug pops out of the slushy machine nozzle and another sticks its head up through the ice, you know, the ice in the ice rink and like someone trips over it in the park. That ice cream lady, you know, reaches into her, her ice cream cart to get some scoops and then a bug grabs onto his arm, her arm and she's like, ah, outside the market, Kate chases one and it merges with a second one, gets bigger. And Fiona yells, Simon, what's going on? 
Shermie and Beth continue walking. Shermie slash Simon asks if there's been any significant ice events in this world. And, you know, he's, he's like, who has a magic crown now? And Beth's like, what crown? They arrive at the library. It's, uh, and, and Shermie's like, or Simon, you know, it's gold and pointy set with red gems. And then Beth's like, shh, we have to be quiet now. So they, they tiptoe inside this really big building. The place is pretty wrecked. Shelves are knocked over. There's cobwebs. You see like a couple skulls and there's this like empty turtle shell, which is the turtle princess. What's her name? And Simon Shermie's like, where's the books? Shh. And then looking up, you see like three or four like shelves kind of like towered, like leaning towards each other. And at the top and, you know, it's like in the middle of this big room, there's a huge like messy stack of books like way at the top. So Beth opens a portal and asks Shermie like, you know, whispers like, you know, what's he waiting for? So he jumps in, ends up up on the stack of books. So he starts looking for a book about ice magic or the crown. And Beth's like, Psst. Just throw some down, you know, preferably something about high technology, transcendental meditation or trashy romance. Shermie starts, you know, throwing books down. Beth's like catching them, sticking them in her stomach portal. And then the, like, the third one is like TM for pups. So it's probably the transcendental meditation. And she's just like, yeah, or something like that. But then a the fourth book that gets tossed down, she doesn't catch it. Thuds on, on, on the ground, you know, lands on the ground and then you see like some sort of shadow like behind creeps around like on a shelf behind her after the nose, the noise. And Beth's like, uh, Simon, we should go. And Simon Shermie's like, just a minute. And she's like, don't you hear it? Simon finally finds, or Shermie, Simon finds a book on ancient artifacts, but then this big beast made out of like sheets of paper rises up and roars. And then there's like more like paper soldiers like heading towards Beth. And she's like, pagelings. They like growl, return your books. Simon tries like fending the beast off because he has this like weird swivel sword. It has like a swivel in the, in the middle of the blade that he had before. So he's trying to swing it, but it keeps like like kind of folding over. And because it you know, just wants to extend it. So he leaps between the legs. He grabs a book that he dropped. He jumps down into Beth's arm. They run past the shell and there's like a robot inside is like shooting lasers at them. Show us your card. Show us your card. Your probably library card. Outside the village, Mark, Fiona is, is trying to stomp on a scarab while Marshall and Gary are trying to like stomp on another. Two are on the building, like in you know, different buildings crawling. Three more can be seen on the streets, like, you know, one's across the streets that are like multiplying. There's like tons of them. Not, well, not tons. Fiona yells that, you know, keep them apart after two of them merge. She grabs a crystal thing out of the back of one and it jumps up at her snarling. But then Hunter, you know, because Hunter was by the, the ice cream vendor in the park, Hunter shows up with like a rake and he's like, I love all plants and animals, but not these things. Fiona whispers something to Cake and and Cake's like, got it. And so Fiona runs across the street and yells, hey, scarabs, I got your dumb crystal. Come and get it. So they start scrambling towards her. They step on this big like white square, which is actually Cake. So Cake extends up into just like separate square like containers. So all the bugs are separated. They can't seem to crawl out. I don't know if it's just too tall, but they're, I thought they, I don't know, whatever. So they're like pounding on, on the sides. And I think Cake's like, I can feel you inside me or something like that. At Prismo's place, he's still trapped in the, the cube, like sitting at, at the bottom of the hot tub. He's also like trying to pound like on the corners or whatever. And he groans. He's like, ah, I should have kept up the medicine ball routines. But it's like, he's starting to crack it a little bit. At Fiona's, they have 
the scarabs and like lots of jars. There's like some under like laundry baskets and just like everywhere. Gary says, so if the scarabs reform, he's going to destroy our entire reality. And Fiona's like, "Mm mm-hmm. Gary's like, and we can't kill him because he's immortal. And Gary or Marshall's like, so do we like keep them in jars for like ever, forever? And Gary's like, will he still try to kill us when the world resets? And Fiona groans. She's like, I don't know. I don't even know what's going on with Simon or why the scarab got in. Cake's like, Simon must be alive or we be blinked out of existence. So Fiona grabs a jar. She yells, she's like, what'd you bugs do to Simon? And the bug's like, abominations. And Fiona's just like, ugh. And Cake's like, just call him. And Fiona's like, huh? Cake's like, I gave him my phone. You know, the, the play Worm when he sits all alone? Fiona's like, that's my phone. So she grabs Gary's phone out of his pocket. You know, she's like, can I borrow this? And he starts to tell her like what her passcode is. And she's like, shh, she's like, I know. And he's like, huh? So somehow she, she knew his passcode. And she's like, it's ringing. So the phone is actually ringing in Simon's like jacket pocket, but he's still frozen holding the, the, the crown. And as Shermie, you hear him say, Beth, where's the book? I want to see. And then back in the Beth and Shermie world, he's like, the book, I need to see the book. And Beth's like, we're almost to the old reading spot. So they go behind his tree. She opens her stomach and the portal and a bunch of books pour out. And she's like, you know, which one has got you so worked up? Shermie Simon holds up the book and she can't read the author's name. And he's like, what, what luck? This world, Simon Petrikov wrote a history of the crown too. All the books have like gun handles, you know, or on, on the spine or something like that. But then, so he's like, the invisible forces of the universe must have wanted uh, me to find this. And he's just like trying to open the book. And Beth's like, that's not how you read. And he's like, I know how to read. I have degrees. Well, he continues struggling. And he tosses it down. Beth catches it. She's like, chill. You know, why do you want to read this one so badly? And he's like, the fate of my friends depend on me finding a magic crown. And this is the best chance I have of locating it. They're waiting. They're waiting for their magical. And she's like, okay, Simon, let's save your friends. And then the trigger click and the, the book opens and like this little hologram display of the, like the crown pops up. And, and he's like, ah, so Beth reads, ready for adventure? And she's, and she's like, this looks like one of those choose your own choice deals. And Simon Shermie's like, oh, like the ancient game books of my world. So Beth reads, fire once for yes, fire twice for no. This is a story about two best friends, Casper and Nova, which is the name of the episode. They are both great explorers. We meet them on their great quest to document and preserve important talismans. They journey through the gobble caverns that lodge near a sunken city in the seaside town of Scandia. There they hear a rumor about a magic crown. And Simon Shermie gets excited. He's like, the crown. A crown guarded by a deadly fire tiger who lives atop the volcanic mountain of Yag. Yag? 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 She's not sure how to pronounce it. Casper wants to go for it. Nova is really excited to search for artifacts in nearby ancient sea ruins. But she would be cool with going with Casper's plan, too. Which thing should they explore? Fire once for Casper's quest, fire twice for Nova's. And Simon Shermie's like, we have to go for the crown. And Beth's like, I don't know, the sea ruins could be fun, too. Simon Shermie's like, finding a crown is a little literal matter of life and death for a whole world of living souls. So Beth's like, I'm digging the commitment to this bit. She pulls the trigger, reads, Casper is bitten, and the crown has already been stolen by moon dragons. 
And Simon Shroom is like, dang it. Beth's like, maybe we can go back and try to the sea ruins route. Good idea. Goes back, chooses the other option. Book has like some flames and like the same scene shows. And he's like, Casper is bitten and the crown has already been stolen. No do-overs in this book, I guess. So it's like, is that it? Can you only read the book once? I mean, can't you just start over? I don't know. At Fiona's, the, the phone, the line is still ringing. Hunter looks at the crystal and Cake was like, where are the games on this thing? So, you know, then Cake, she's like bored. She's like, I'm going to watch TV. Turns on a TV. It's Cheers, of course. Fiona gets to her voicemail and she's like, either the phone isn't working or Simon's too hurt to answer. And Marshall's like, what would the barflies from Cheers do in this situation? So Fiona's like, I'm going to go back through the portal. And Hunter says, he's like, because he mentioned like blue sparkles. And Hunter's like, I saw blue sparkles in the park. He's like, I can show you. So Fiona's like, let's go, Cake. And Gary's like, we'll look too. You know, we can cover more ground. You know, if we look for portals everywhere. And Marshall's like, uh, I could even call my mom if we have to. So they leave. And then uh, LSP wakes up from under pile of clothes. Like, what is LSP doing there? And the mini scarabs like whine at him from the jars. And LSP is like, oh my God, what are you doing to these beautiful creatures? Be free, my babies. And he starts throwing the jars. It's like, okay, dude, you're in someone else's place. They have stuff going on and you're touching. There must be some reason. And you're, starts tossing them. They like smile and they like swarm over LSP. Outside, Fiona asks everyone if they know where they're headed. Then her apartment like blows out and Scarab's like standing in the smoke and then cracks his knuckles. That's the end of the episode. So we're going to leave it hanging there. Um, the, The last episode is called Cheers. Cheers is filmed in front of a live studio audience. Oh man, that this, I, I'm, yeah, I just, I like this show. I, I'm, I'm so excited to watch this. I don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch the last one. I don't want to end. That's the other reason why I didn't want to watch it right away. Plus the fact, you know, this pesky time situation that I'm struggling with. So that's going to be Fiona Cake for this week. So you got to wait till next week to find out what happens. Okay, the movie feature is The Creator. So it's, it's so weird when this movie because i like i knew nothing about this i didn't know i thought it was like some little indie like not 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 nothing movie but i thought it was just a small little thing and you know speaking of small it only had an 80 million dollar budget which seems crazy when you watch it because visually this is like such such a visual cool looking movie and you know it looks like they're in all these different locations and maybe some of it's cg or whatever but even cg isn't that like expensive to do because you know just like with the the robots and with like the little hole in the the side of her head and the gears and it's just it's such a a a cool looking movie and everything you know they, they really sell it as this is like this you know future world where you know things are different and everything like that but i didn't even know I didn't even realize that Gareth Edwards directed this. You know, Gareth Edwards did Rogue One. You know, I, I really like that movie. And I know some people are like on the fence with it, whatever. But I, I felt that, you know, it was kind of different. And it, was, it just had this weird tone in the whole Star Wars universe. And it was just, I thought it was really good. And, and you know, he's done other things, obviously. And, and you know, the, I didn't even realize. So John David Washington is like the lead in this. And when I watched the trailer, because, you know, I... I think sometimes when I watch trailers, I kind of watch like out of the corner of my eye because I don't want to get spoiled too much. 
but you know he he's he's good. He's really good in here. And Gemma Chan is in this. You know, plays his wife. And Ken Watanabe is in this. I had no idea. And and then when he comes out on screen, I'm like, hey, wait, isn't that Ken, what? So it was just really cool. But again, it blows my mind. Eighty million dollars for this, and just the fact, yeah. So it's it's really compelling movie. What is it about? Let's just start with that. It, it starts off like in the future, like tw- I think it was uh, 2065 or something like that, which is supposed to be like 10 years after. Because we it starts off, you get kind of like these this news footage and uh, Los Angeles gets hit by a nuclear bomb or something like that. And or we, we see like this history building before this where people start using, you know, AI, you know, computers and everything. And you see like these old clunky like robots you know like 1950s robots like vacuuming the floor or do whatever helping run the house doing all this stuff so apparently in uh would have been 2055 a nuclear bomb goes off in la and it was supposedly it was it went off by ai by you know the artificial intelligence blew up los angeles so there's there becomes this big huge war you know the united states government's like we will not allow AI in our country and blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's like a war against AI. They are completely banned. But other regions, there's like, I think it was called New Asia or something like that, where there, you know, there's other places where they're like, whatever, they're fine. You know, they, they can do what they want. They can have their own lives and, you know, own colonies or whatever. So, of course, the United States government being the United States government, you know, they, they start going out and trying to police other things. And, you know, they're, they're kind of like hunting down other groups. And to, to kind of enhance where, where this starts off, we, we see uh, John David Washington. He's like undercover as, you know, on this like beach thing. And, and so he has his, he's with his wife, Maya. She's pregnant. And they're, you know, they're in this place. AI is not banned. So I think there's actually like some AI like with them and everything like that. But then they're, they're supposed to be, he's working towards something like trying to find like the AI God. There's this Nimrata or something like that, that they, that they're seeking out. Cause you know, in the beginning, I think it has a definition of, you know, what or Nim- Nimrata is or whatever it's called. And you know, they, they're, so he's undercover, but then off to shore, there's like this big, I feel like I'm telling the whole movie now, but there's like this big ship. They, they basically get attacked by like military, um, troops. And cause at one point, you know, they're like starting to evacuate. And, you know, he sends his wife upstairs to go, you know, pack and get what we need or something like that. Then he hops on a phone. He's like, he's like, I'm not, I'm not done. You know, I'm not ready yet. And just like that. So then she finds out that he's, he lied that, you know, she didn't realize he was undercover. And, she gets angry, whatever, all this stuff. They, she like takes off with, with the others. And then, you know, they're in these boats, like sailing off. And he got, I think he, he got hit by one of the others or that something happened to him and he sees them sail off, but then they get killed by the big beam from this big military, you know, ship, whatever. So then it's like five years later, you know, he's just like, you know, he retired, he quit, whatever. This general dude comes up to him. He's like, Nope. And and he's like, you haven't heard what I had to say or whatever. And he starts talking about like this this weapon that was made that you know they they need it or otherwise you know humans can become extinct or whatever. And uh, Joshua, you know, David John David Washington, he's he mentions how his wife was killed by you people, you know, because they 
attacked too early, all this stuff like that. And you know, he mentions his unborn child, and he's he's he doesn't care. He's like, if we come come extinct, whatever, because you know he's like, yeah, I'm already dead, type basically type of thing, because his you know his life ended back then. But then the generals or they're like, well, you might want to see this, and then they play like a video, and then he's like, is this real? Because he you see his wife, so it's like, wait, she actually survived. So that's kind of like the hook to bring him in. So they, they need to find this other device that's been created, this uh, this weapon that Nimrata has made. And because it, it could, like I said, it could turn the tides. It could make humanity extinct and everything like that. It's in the same location where he was at. So he knows the layout. So he's like the, the perfect one to go there. So he goes with his team and everything. What ends up happening from, you know, the, you can see from the poster to trailer and everything like that, this weapon, quote unquote weapon, is like a six-year-old girl as Joshua go. Cause you know, he, he obviously clearly, you know, everyone knows that he has his ulterior motive. He wants to find his wife. And what, you know, the main thing is, you know, you have to find this, this six-year-old, this weapon and, you know, bring it or whatever. And he's, he ends up kind of protecting the, he, he calls a, the, the six-year-old Alfie. And he ends up protecting Alfie because you know he needs to find his wife and everything, and and you you start to see that this is just like a it's like an innocent kid because you know it's it it feels like it's innocent. It has some ability where it can controls like some electronics. It can like shut things off, turn things on, or whatever. But it's supposed to be this powerful weapon. It doesn't realize it because it's just a six year old kid. It doesn't you know have that full knowledge yet. So that's what basically the movie ends up being about where. You know they're they're trying to get to Alfie and Joshua. He's trying to protect things and stop things and find his wife. Is she so? Well, what's going on? And everything like that. So, like I said, just just visually, I mean, it's it's just it's amazing and all the places go and you know there's like big explosions. There's always other robots with like you know not non human faces and it's just it's just fascinating seeing them like coexist like these AI villages. And and some of the AI villages are you know there's like regular people there because it's it's you know these kind of you know um, out desolate places you know people living in shacks and stuff like that and they're just like in their little village with their chickens running around or goats or whatever and and you know they're just just living their lives and you know oh there's AI whatever you know they they just coexist because there's no problem there and so but the question is well why did the AI set off the nuclear bomb or why did they target LA you know what what's the deal what's going on and you know, do they really want to, what's this weapon for? And, you know, so there's a lot of questions or anything like that. And it's just, it's, it's really compelling. And I was just, what, what I was really surprised, because, you know, if you think about the story in itself, it's like AI versus, you know, mankind uses AI, AI takes, I mean, that's basically Terminator, you know, Skynet, you, you build Skynet, then Skynet wants to kill all humans. It's nothing new. It's not a new concept. It's a little cliche because, and and I, I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way, uh, but I think when things are cliche, it's usually taken as bad. You know, so the the whole idea, it's it's just it's man versus, uh, you know, versus technology. We've seen that time and time again, but they do a really good job in the execution here. You know, it it just it really works and it's compelling. So while the story, you know, how many ideas are. are are, do exist in the world because you know when you talk about like even something like like Star Wars, you know a lot of people are like Star Wars, like Seven Samurai. You know, there's, there's a lot of 
ideas that are built on something else and you just take it like that. So it doesn't really matter. You know, even you look at comic book superheroes like, oh, this person can fly. That's like Superman. You know, they're just ripping. They're not ripping it off. It's just there's only a finite set of ideas. You know, if you do a Western, you're not going to say, oh, this is like the good, the bad and ugly. This is just another you know movie in that area, genre, time, whatever. So the fact that the idea of man versus technology we've seen over and over again they they do a good job with it and it's just you know you you get into who the characters are and like what they're trying to do and what the story is and there there actually is like some humanity which is a little surprising you know even though these are just ai robot whatever you want to call them you know you can see that that they do have some emotion even because they're i mean it's artificial intelligence so if if they can think naturally you know if they can think on their own if that's the whole concept of ai shouldn't it also be if they can replicate kind of like human thought or if they can replicate the ability to think shouldn't they also be able to replicate the ability to feel something like to feel compassion or or fear or love or whatever i mean isn't that how it works because, you know, we always see in these movies that the, the technology is just these cold, lifeless, you know, all they want to do is kill. But even with that, if you think about that, if, if the AI like Terminators or Skynet, if they're seeking to destroy stuff, isn't that there like some fear in that? That they're deciding that they need to eradicate mankind because mankind is a threat, is a threat to their existence. So it's, I mean, you could say, oh, it's just calculated, you know, logic, reasoning that they should do this. But it's there's got to be an element of fear on their end that they're f- afraid that humanity and mankind is going to basically shut them off and end their existence. So they must have a sense of self-preservation and all that. So it, it's just there's I mean, I will admit and you know, maybe my emotions are just on edge or whatever. But, you know, I, I did get a little emotional at, at times. It's just and uh it's, I, I just, I think they just did a really good job with it. And I joke with like, you know, I think it was last week, Martin Scorsese's complaining, you know, the Hollywood industry's over, everything is just franchises and sequels and stuff like that. And that's kind of what it was this week. So when I decided to see this over the franchise Saw, Saw X, Saw 10, whatever, I was like, okay, Martin Scorsese, this one's for you. I'm seeing the new movie instead of the franchise movie now here's the thing is martin did martin scorsese go see the creator is he supporting this this new quote unquote new idea this new movie this new thing or is he you know whatever is like i'm not going to see that you know i don't i don't know if martin scorsese is into sci-fi or not i I could be wrong maybe he is i don't know but martin scorsese if you're (laughs) i can't even say martin scorsese if you're listening i hope you go and watch the creator and support it now, as far as, you know, as, and I, I'll admit, as I'm watching this sometime, I'm like, you know, how is this going to end? Are we going to get like a firm conclusion or is there going to be some sort of like cliffhanger, like potential or some, not necessarily an end credit scene, but is there going to be like some glimmer of hint or something that could, you know, carry the story into a sequel? And what Gareth Edwards has said you know, he he's he's like 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 no um actually there's a, a quote that he said he you know he's basically saying there's there's no plans he's like you something like you know i like endings my favorite part of the story is the end my favorite part of a joke is a punchline and so i just want 
it to be this self-contained thing. So, I mean, it's a high-class problem. If someone ever came up and said, we want a sequel, that would be a really good problem to have. But it is not the plan, so no. So there's no plans for a sequel, but... I mean, part of it would depend on like how this does. I don't know what I, I didn't look at the box office, but um, it I think it did like just under six million on the preview night on on Thursday. Um, I, I I don't know how it would be. You know, I don't know what what people because you know even though Saw Saw, there's that more name recognition, so people might go to see that. The creator, and you know that was part of my hesitation in in, in doing this. You know, because the creator doesn't have like when you hear the creator, what the heck does that mean? If I I probably like three weeks ago, maybe I had no idea this movie even existed. And, you know, I'm, I'm reading like, you know, I'm reading the news, looking up news every week. I knew nothing about this. Somehow it totally wasn't even on my radar. So I, I just wonder how this is going to do box office wise. I hope people see it because it's 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 a really cool movie. And, you know, is it movie of the year? No, but it's, it's entertaining and just visually it's, it's really cool, like what they managed to do and, and all that. So I, I, I heard someone's like best sci-fi movie of, of the decade or, or something like that. So go see the creator, it, you know, so support, make Martin Scorsese happy or, it, or don't make him happy. Make, you know, Gareth Edwards happy, make whoever, make yourself happy by seeing it. You know, it's, it's worth checking out. So that is going to be the podcast for this week. It was, it was a cool movie. And with that, um, big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I'm currently doing X-Men to Hidden Years by John Burns. So this is like, you know, flashback. It's basically like X-Men in the 60s stories, you know, with new adventures, lost adventures that we never knew about back then. Uh, so you, you can hear that. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. That's ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. Okay, what is going to be next week? Next week... <laughs> It's going to be the Exorcist Believer. When I, I was like, eh, I don't know about this. I really, I don't know much about the movie. You know, I watched the trailer. So I guess this is, you know, they mentioned Reagan, Regan from the first one. So I guess this is sort of some sort of like sequel to the original. I, I know very, I know nothing about this. I don't know like how long after this, who's in this. Because there's some, some like older lady. I, is that her mom? I don't know who, what's going on. But there's like nothing else coming out. There is that Tom DeLonge movie, which I think is on video on demand. I already bought my ticket for The Exorcist, but I really want to see that Monsters of California. Hmm, I'm almost tempted, like maybe I should go get a refund and watch that instead. I, I don't know. Um, and then there's like a million TV shows that somehow I need to get caught up on already. I'm, I'm, I'm so far behind and now I'm starting to stress, even though the week's like just not even started yet. But, you know, there's Gen V you got to watch, Chucky starting, Loki. Loki's not going to be on next week's episode. It's, it's just, it's, it's not going to happen being on Fridays. I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, um, that's this week and then next week. I hope you are doing well. I hope you're keeping up with things. You know, like, what a problem to have. Like, there's just too much to watch. And, and here, I thought that there wasn't going to be anything coming up. You know, I thought we are going to, but whatever. So, I hope you're doing well. hope things are going 
smoothly for you. I hope you are taking care of yourself. And I hope you remember, be good to each other. Mm-hmm.